Decomnet. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey. David! What's going on? Well, I got really nervous because this, <laughs> this guy that bought Sales of Glory from me uh, didn't pay for like four days. And I kept emailing him was like, hey, when are you going to pay? No big deal. I'm not worried about it. But you know, I just want you know some indication that you are actually going to buy this. If you're not, let me know so I can get it relisted. Well, the dude goes on and on and on and on. Finally, I open up one of those dispute resolution deals in uh, eBay. Okay. <clears throat> he paid like within 24 hours after doing that. So did he say why you had such tr- trouble paying you? No, nothing. And what was weird was in the meantime, but then he bought my game and and like when he paid, he had paid for like two other games. That's weird. So it's not like he hadn't been in to eBay or anything. It was just the weirdest thing. So I when I packed it all up, I actually took like a video of me packing it up and looking at all the different pieces <laughs> that go into it. <laughs> because I have going to get it and be like, this isn't what I ordered, and try yeah. to demand a refund. Yeah, I had a, I had an experience with the recently where I was trying to sell some, some some play kitchen for the kids, and I it was a pickup only. And there's all this bidding, and then this lady from Alabama won it. <laughs> so I emailed her, I'm like, uh, how are you planning on picking this up? Because you live in Alabama. And then she just no-acted me. She wouldn't call me back, she wouldn't contact me, so uh, then eBay charged me uh, for the sale, because it had right. gone through, but I hadn't been paid yet. And then, uh, uh. then I, I relisted it, and then I got emails for stuff people would say, like, would this fit into the back of a Pathfinder? <laughs> You're like, what yeah. year? <laughs> with the spare tire or without? I was like, this is, these are the dimensions. Or one lady said, will it fit in the back of a late model Honda Accord? So finally I sold it to a lady who lives near me and uh-huh. she asked me something like that and I just said, tell me where you live. And I just threw uh-huh. it just the house. Yeah. Throw it over right <laughs> You could have really creeped her out and been like, yeah, 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 I'm totally familiar with that place. <laughs> well, I know exactly where you live. Oh, sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> When she bought it, I mean, then I, it gives me her address generally, you know, yeah. for the delivery, shipping, so I knew where she was. Yeah. Well, what's going on with you guys? Uh, just been busy. Went and saw uh, uh, Book of Mormon last night. Uh, oh, Trey Parker. Is it traveling now? Matt, Matt Stone, yeah. Nice. Uh, it was, it was pretty hilarious. It was pretty hilarious. All I've got to say at one point during that show, Somebody throws a like twelve foot tall Satan a guitar and he has a guitar solo <laughs> while Jeffrey Dahmer sodomizes this main character's dad. Wow. <laughs> it is the craziest show. Wow, that's pretty that's pretty heavy. <laughs> it was wow. the weird it was <laughs> there were, the funny thing about it too is we went to a matinee and uh <laughs> It was all like blue hair old people. I've, I've heard they're having a, a problem with that now that it's kind of on the road is people are going expecting to learn something about Mormonism. And that's not what the show is. <laughs> well, I've heard, I heard that Mormon, I heard Mormon people have actually been going to the show. Yeah. I would assume that they do. And, and locally, uh, in the, so the, the theater that I go to locally is owned by Niederlander, who's like one of the big, like, Broadway type people. It's like one of the big Broadway companies. And, uh, they have this massive, massive program. And 
somewhere along the line throughout people buying ad space, there are like five or six pages of that program that are like, you've seen the show, now read the book. And you're like, oh, I'm pretty funny. sure that this show isn't going to make you want to read the book. No, but I, I, I think they have kind of turned it around and tried to use it a little bit as advertising. I, I mean, it would be the, it would be the smart thing of them to do, but I mean, it, it is the, it is clearly the most bizarro approach to marketing if that's really their tactic. I've been playing uh, a lot of my solo uh, Mascawa game, my uh-huh. game, and uh, my wife actually was walking by the garage, and I have to confess, she caught me making uh, cannon noises. <laughs> and of I course, she did. <laughs> I'm really getting into it. I love the game; it's so much fun. And so I'm kind of, it was a little bit embarrassing, I think. But yeah. all right, well, that's cool. We, uh, we ready to get started? Oh, we're started already. Okay, uh, so uh, welcome to Advance After Combat. This is the uh, podcast about wargaming, the war games we play, and our experiences playing them. This podcast is uh, brought to you by myself, Dave, and Jason and Keith. So, hello, hello. That's it. Uh, <laughs> Short t-shirt, show. T-shirt really good, sales. good job, everybody. <laughs> t-shirt sales abysmal. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. Uh, we we have. <laughs> <laughs> at www I don't know why we need to still say www but <clears throat> www.booster.com slash AAC1 we have a shirt for sale um, I got charged for it already I thought it was going to be more like Kickstarter I did too I charged at the end and, couldn't figure out what it was yeah <clears throat> but it's $20 for a t-shirt um, 15 for the shirt and 5 for shipping they actually called me and said if we don't hit 50 um, they probably won't be able to print them, so we need to get to 50. Oh, that's never happened. Well, yeah. We get like, <laughs> what, 800 downloads every episode, but we have 13 shirts sold, three of which are the three of us. And five are bought by five of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think there's an issue with, um, adults and rainbow kittens, uh, sharding tanks. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't have a problem with it. You don't have to wear it. Just buy it. Yeah. I I was worried that we weren't going to reach 20. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am too. So we might not actually have our shirt. It could have been that's a all right. And if that's the case, I think we can put them up for individual sale. Um, they'll just be more expensive. Just Yeah. Do like a cafe press kind of thing. Yeah. We can still do it through them, but I think it'll be oh, like okay. 22 with $5 shipping instead of 15 with $5 shipping. Well, that, that should that should push it right off the precipice. Yeah, then we'll sell the, the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want one to wear to Consum World, though. It'll matter. You aren't going to wear the Consum World T-shirt on the day you get to Consum World. I'll bring it home and wash it, and then wear it later that week. Actually, I can just wear my last year's shirt. Oh, yeah. I mean, people will be like, "Hey, wait a minute! This oh. is a veteran. Mm-hmm. This is somebody who knows what this is all about. He's been here before." <laughs> yeah. So thirteen. Uh, T-shirts sold so far. That's yeah. pretty. So go to that goes, website, booster.com/slash/aac the number one, and buy a damn T-shirt, people. It, it just goes to show that the only thing war gamers are willing to spend their money on is more war games. Yeah, yeah. Good news on that front. I just accepted a trade offer to trade away Guns of Gettysburg for uh, RAF from Decision Games. Oh, nice. And it's solo, which means I'll actually play it. It is. It is. That's true. 
Although, if it's the new version, you can play it two-player as well, right? It comes with a... Uh, the traditional RAF scenario, it comes with a, a German scenario, and then it comes with two-player. a two-player, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's the one it is. That's very fancy pants. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Did you guys get anything well, cool. in the mail? Yes, definitely. Dave, you, do you want to go? or? I didn't get anything. I've been just playing what I have, so... Yeah, I got a, I got a bunch of stuff. So, um, un, unhappy King Charles, uh, came my way. Uh, I'm going to plug it again just because I really think that folks should be listening to it because it's an amazing, amazing history podcast. Um, there's a podcast out there called Revolutions and the guy who does it is the guy who did the like two year long history of Rome podcast. He's doing one now called Revolutions that tackles various Western revolutions, and it starts with the English Civil War uh, in the 17th century and then runs up, I'm assuming he's going to make it into the 20th century and be doing, like, the, you know, Russian Civil War and things like that. Um, but Unhappy King Charles covers that time period, so I'm really interested to see, you know, how they lined it up now that I actually know more than nothing about that uh, conflict. So I thought that would be really kind of an interesting thing to do. Um so I got that. Uh, Combat Commander Pacific uh, found a guy who was selling it on eBay, again, just for, like, next to nothing. It was, like, $50 shipped. Um, so that was great. Uh, Blood and Roses finally came in the mail. I'm excited to play that. That's uh, Men of Iron? That's the Men of Iron, right? That's cool. Volume 3. Nice. Uh, so yep. that does the uh, wars between, right, the Lancasters and the Yorks. So That's, that's designed uh, by Ralph, one of our guild members. It is. It is. Uh, so that'll be a great, uh, that. that looks like it's a great game. I've been poking at the rules at that. It seems like it has really neat streamlined rules. I like that. If it was anyone but Ralph, I'd go out and get it, but. Yeah, do the, do the rules seem sarcastic and aggressively <laughs> <Snarky>. bitter? <laughs> they take a really dark turn after you get to know them. <laughs> There's like, like, like an unusual darkness to his soul that comes through in the rules, which is kind of an odd thing to see. <laughs> Is there, yeah, is there a, uh, in the table of contents, a listing under Sardonic? <laughs> <laughs> pages 1 through 36. Right. And there's, there's only 35 pages, so nice. there's some. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, finished <clears throat> off my collection of Battles of the American Revolution with the exception of Newtown. And had a chance to to get in a game of that, and I'll, I can maybe mention that uh, either this time or next time. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Played with another guild member, um, Keith. That was that was great. Uh, Keith stick together. It turns out when it comes to uh, war gaming, that's why we have so many Jasons in the guild too. <laughs> Everybody's like, "Hey, I know that name. Yeah. I should listen to that <laughs> podcast." <laughs> yeah. So there were those. What else? Yeah, that that's it on the wargaming for oh close action and the two expansions for close action. So um I did sell you know, the Sales of Glory and picked up close action because I was looking for something that had some crew management and some teeth to it uh that would allow for some smaller fights and um that looked pretty cool. And then, you know, not two days after that all came in, GMT put up on P five hundred a new Age of Sale game that is a highly detailed game and it looks really kind of crazy. Like the counters are octagons and the squares are heck and the map is squares instead of hexes. And it's the <laughs> same designer, right? As the it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Nagel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So it looks really like it could be really cool. I'm kind of interested to find out who's playtesting this. Can I get in the playtest of it? Because it looks great, and that, that's definitely something that would be right up my alley. And since I'm a fan of the previous series, I think that would be a, a good fit. Yeah, um, so in any case, the uh, uh, that's kind of what's been going on. been playing a bunch of Band of Brothers Ghost Panzer and trying to pump content out onto the site, so... Yeah, I'm kind of in a phase right now where I'm, I'm waiting on a bunch of pre-orders and I troll around looking for something that's going to strike my fancy, but I just, there's nothing there for me right now. Yeah, I have a, I have a couple I have my eye on, but for the most part, I'm trying to take it easy. I did get my hearts and minds in the mail from the Kickstarter. Um, and there were some issues. I, I overall, I, I really like the, the production of, of the second edition. Um, the, the map is twice the size as the original, but the cards, and it's a card game, the cards in it are absolutely terrible. Um, are the Americans still blue? Yes. I won't buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Although the, the, the tanks on the counter, the tank silhouette on the counters have been updated. Um, but the, the cards are just atrocious. So apparently they're sending new cards out to everyone, uh, and hopefully they can step up the value. What do you mean by atrocious? Are they just printed on really thin Cardstock? Have, have, have you seen the first edition? All screwed up. Have you seen the first edition of the game? No. So the cards are they're bigger than a business card, but they're that same. They're they're the first edition. They're they're flimsy. They're they're teeny tiny little cards. Um, well, I mean they're like halfway between between um, the euro size and a regular like GMT card. The they're thin stock. Um, so this this new version is almost exactly the same. It's a minutely thicker stock and it's glossy. But the thing about it is, the cards aren't even, or the the corners aren't rounded. So I mean, it just looks cheap. You open this pack of cards and it just looks cheap. Um, so a buddy of mine, he he kickstarted it too uh, because we like playing it. So he wanted a, ver- a copy of it for for himself. He got that and he got um, no retreat the same week that the new no retreat um north africa north africa mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so he opens those at about the same time he paid the the kickstarter for hearts and minds was 70 dollars. he paid i think 45 dollars for no retreat and it has these beautiful thick you know linen finished counters that are already rounded these nice you know gmt quality thick cards and then he paid almost twice as much for this worthington game that you know, is keeping with their quality, which isn't great, but, you know, paying that and getting a lesser quality product, um, you know, component-wise is, is a little disheartening. So hopefully this these new cards that they're sending out kind of really, really step it up. Um, I love the game, well, but the component quality overall is really terrible. So so how does that go down? I mean, people complain about the cards, and they said, okay, we're going to make better cards and ship them out to everyone. Well, what happened is, I think that was part of it, but there's also errors on the cards that they did ship. Um, misprints and you know weird cutting. Um, so instead of trying to have the majority of people who said, "Hey, you know mine are messed up," instead of making all of us go back through and check our cards, they're actually just sending them to everyone. So they, they said the new quality is is a lot better, and they're really happy with it. But they haven't really <laughs> said what that. Yeah, but they were happy with the first edition ones. Right. I'm like, yeah. or was it an intentional thing where they were like? Let's see how crappy we can make these and yeah. people not complain. Yeah. I certainly hope not. Because um, that was kind of the big deal is 
this is a card game, so the cards need to feel nice. They need to look nice in your hand, or else kind of the whole experience is kind of crappy. They need to look nice in your hand. Jason, come on. I, I understand what you're saying. They need to look nice in your and hand. I'm not a component guy. You're just making people with ugly hands feel bad. <laughs> well, if you have ugly hands, the cards will look nicer. I guess. Well, yeah, see, maybe that's the problem. I guess. Well, Jason does show his hands a lot. Anyone who's watched his videos, his hands play a major role in his videos. Yeah, you'd think I'd cut my fingernails Hand more often. <laughs> All right. Well, for the ugly-handed, the cards are wonderful. For the rest of us, wait for the upgrade. <laughs> wait for the upgrade. Oh, and I, I did, though, I did break down and I pre-ordered Conflict of Heroes Guadalcanal. Sucker. And I'd sworn I wasn't going to do it. I was going to wait for it to come out first, and I just couldn't wait. I'm really so you can pre-order it. Are they going to honor the pre-order when they do the Kickstarter? Or are they going to refund everybody's money? They said they'll just uh, they'll do it straight through the when the Kickstarter goes. Oh, okay. Do you know what level it'll be at? Will it be at the level that gets like all the goodies, or are they going to some like it's chump said, level? They said that you'll get everything that everybody else gets. Wow. Oh, okay. That's pretty neat. Yeah, but I mean, when will it come? I don't know. I did it. He seemed to think they were going to start cooking on those pretty soon because they, they were just waiting on tying up the solo system so they didn't have to keep going back and reprinting counters, which I, that has been my number one complaint about that series, uh, and I will continue to complain about it. So I'm really pleased to hear that they realize what a pain it is that every time they put a game out, it has like new counters. Yeah, I think I saw on BGG on the Guadalcanal forum, they were basically saying, hey, it's coming. So then I just got all giddy and ran off. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Yeah. Pathetic. Now, is that going to be standalone? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. It's its own game. Yeah, I'm down, for, I'm down for Pacific stuff. I think that's cool. I'm just so... That, that's been my biggest problem just as far as a tactical set because I've already... I've got Conflict of Heroes. I like what it does, and I'm not really into... I don't think I need to learn a new rule set, and but I, I'm basically waiting in limbo for for them to make more stuff for it. So it's frustrating. Sure. All right. Are we well, very a, good. Are we in a release slump lately? It's, it doesn't seem like there's anything coming out or anything. I get. I, I know. GMT just updated their publishing schedule. They've got a they've got a bunch of combat commander stuff coming out, and then I think. But it's all like late this quarter, right? It's. Well, they have some stuff shipping in March. They have some stuff that's going to ship in the end of March. Uh, they have a couple things going in April, and then I think between April and basically uh, World Board Game yeah. Championships, they're done, I think. Yeah. It's weird. There's nothing coming out or being announced coming out in the next month or so, that really, or even two months that has me jazzed. For a guy who's like, I don't need to be buying any games. It seems like... You want to buy games. Um, you want to be tempted. I do want to be tempted. I would rather not. But it, there, yeah, there's just nothing that's getting me even excited to pay attention, uh, which is making it easier for me to not spend money. But sure, sure. Well, I think there's some exciting stuff coming out late this year. But yeah, yeah I think late this you year. know usually you wait until late. Usually it's from about August on that things start to really pick up. Oscar season. Right, the 31 days of Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys want to do some reviews? I got a review we could do. Yeah, that's right. Let's hear about it. My review is Federation Commander Klingon Border. Nerd alert. 
Yeah, so yeah, okay. Alright. It's a sci-fi game. It's, it's a sci-fi war game. And I'm not like a Star Trek guy, so. Why? I, I, I just, it's, I think I was more Battlestar Galactica. You know, I just started watching the, the second, or whatever, the modern version of BSG yesterday. And I'm, I'm, oh, it's I'm awesome. hooked. You're gonna be in for a major disappointment. That show starts out really good, and then progressively you're like, why am I still watching this? It's not as dramatic as something like Heroes, but over time you're gonna be like, Diminishing I returns. love this show, and then you're gonna go, what happened? That's okay. Yeah, it's a it's it's a great ride though. I liked it, but but as it a is. kid, I watched the original. What's that, Lorne Green and and uh, yeah. So that was kind of my thing. But I kind of miss Star Trek, even though some of you think I'm like 55 years old. That was not the show <laughs> that I watched as a kid. So, uh, so I'm not as familiar with Star Trek and the history. I mean, I have some basic knowledge of that, about it, and uh, uh-huh. it's it's made by Am- Amarillo Design Bureau. It's like 40 bucks. Now, do you know how they got the license for that? No. This is one of the best stories in all of, like, board game licensing. So, <laughs> is, is it a board game or is it a miniatures game? It's a board you can game. use either. Um, they make uh, they make miniatures that you can buy, but it, it comes as a board game. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so back in the, in the late-70s-ish or mid-70s-ish, apparently this guy had come up with this game and approached Gene Roddenberry to, like, buy the rights to build this board game out of the things that had already come out about... Star Trek. So I don't know the full story of what went on behind the scenes, but effectively he was sold the rights for some like ridiculously low price. And it was lifetime (laughs) because at the time there was no, the movies were like not a twinkle in anybody's eyes, right? That would kind of reboot the franchise and next generation wasn't even, Conceived, nobody even thought that would be a thing, or the you know twenty-seven other Star Trek things that have come out since then, right? So he got this like massive license, but it's why when you are playing it, there's some made-up things and alien races that exist in like an episode of the original. And it's only the original series, right? He doesn't have any rights for TNG or DS9 or anything, right? Yeah, this is exactly. These are the same guys who did Starfleet Battles, I guess, which was the original, yeah, original system that's super complex. I remember buying one of the books once, reading it for about five minutes, and then putting it down and never looking at it again. <laughs> they also do Federation and Empire, which is kind of the strategic scale uh, Star Trek uh, game. But this is, yeah, so this is like old Star Trek. I I was a Starfire player, Imperial Starfire. That's the was kind of my sci-fi game of choice when I was younger. Um, but so I never really had played any of these games. So, but I'd heard good things about Federation Commander and that it was a little bit more accessible, maybe than Starfleet Battles. So, oh, yeah. so I went ahead and got. So what? It. So <clears throat> what made you want a sci-fi game like this? I like sci-fi war gaming. Uh, I'm more into the fleet battles, I think, than individual duels. Or, okay. And I've, you know, I, I played Full Thrust for miniatures uh, in the past and. I've always kind of looked for a, a good science fiction uh, fleet battle type game, which is why Starfire was a good one for me at the time when it was out. So I'd heard enough about it, and I thought maybe I would check it out to see if it was something I would check. So generally, opening the box, it's, it, I think you can get this game for like thirty-five, forty bucks if you look around the right places. I got it a lot cheaper at a place that no longer sells things that cheaply anymore. <sighs> <laughs> uh, um, opening it up, 
talking quickly about the components, the best thing about the game is these ship cards that they have. They have laminated ship cards that basically have all the colored boxes for each, it's in, for each individual ship. And on one side it has squadron scale and one side, the flip side is fleet scale. So the kind of the cool thing that's apparent right away when you look at the components is you can play a game with a duel between two ships or you can play a, a much larger game with a bunch of ships on each side where there's just less boxes and less to keep track of so the action goes more quickly. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, that affects everything. So when you do the fleet size, that affects movement rates and all kinds of other things too. Yeah, and there's like less, the whole game scales, which I think is really one of the cool things with it. Yeah, and it's there's, so there's a complete difference in between the two, and it's just just basically by flipping the card, you've made a game that's much quicker and maybe easier to play, but loses some of the the crunchy tactics of having a ship on ship duel. So, right. This is Klingon Border, so there's a bunch of different versions out there. Uh, generally, there's two basic starter sets. There's Romulan Border and Klingon Border, and then there's a bunch of add-ons you can get. And I'm not going to get into trying to explain all the different add-ons, but to, suffice to say there's there's tons of, of add-on sets and boosters that will give you more ships or whatever. But this is Klingon Border. So the general uh, focus on this set is Klingons and Federation ships. They, they do give you some other guys. You get Zintis. Keith, do you know what those are? No. Okay. No. I guess I, I, would have, I, I fly my. I would have bet a thousand fucking pretty dollars. high, but I don't know that one. I would have bet a thousand fucking dollars to keep them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're like some kind of feline aliens. They're, there's there's cards for freighters. There's cards for a planet killer battle station. Tholians, Orion pirates, uh, a bunch of different stuff. But generally, most of the the counters and cards are for Klingons, Federation forces. There's uh there's different size counters too. There's a set of one inch counters, and there's a set of half inch counters. And you can actually play the game with the one inch counters because the boards they give you flip and have one inch hexes on one side and one half inch hexes on the other side. So if you want to play with some cooler looking counters that have a little more color on them, you can go with the one inchers. But if you want to play a game that's going to have more space between the forces. You can use the half-inch size, and generally then you're dealing with you know just silhouettes with some indicators as to what type of ship it is. So, so that that's kind of neat that they actually have offered something where maybe you want more maybe the miniature experience or more attractive counter. You can you can have the one-inch side. The downside is obviously, like I said, you're going to have less room. There's the 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 weird thing about the board is it's basically uh, six rectangular cardstock pieces that fit together. And I don't necessarily like cardboard boards because they get a little warpy yeah. and then it's hard to get them to lay flat. I would have rather if it had just been a map. But I guess the nice thing is you can kind of customize this by making it however big you need it to be for the table size you have. And they, their idea is that you can, if you have a rolling battle with maybe a pursuit through space, you can take the sides that you're not using and add them on some other way to the end where the pursuit is heading to kind of make the map extend. That's interesting. Um, so I ended up just putting plexiglass down over the cardboard to keep it down. Uh, I guess you could twist or band them together or something to get them, get them to uh, straighten out. The other great thing is the reference card's really nice. They have a double-sided laminated reference card with a lot of color. And thank God there's fucking two cards. So both players can hold one, which is something that should be like a, oh, yeah. a global requirement for quick reference sheets. 
nothing more annoying than having to hand the same sheet back and forth between two players. So, so that's basically it. They, it did include a dry erase marker, which was bad, Jim. It was bad. It would not write. So it did not work for me. I had to use one of my own. And that's, it was kind of neat for them to include it, but I had no idea how long that dry erase marker had been sitting in the box. What do you, now to be clear, that's not a dry erase marker. That's a wet erase marker. Mm. What do you use it for? Oh, is it really? Yes. Don't use dry erase on it or it'll mark it up. Oh, I've already done that. Okay. <laughs> go back and take, go back and take a look. They, they, I think they outlined that in the, in the beginning of the rule book. They're like very specific about this is a wet erase marker. <laughs> so will the dry erase marker mess up your cards? Uh, I think the issue was that over time it'll stain it. And maybe that's the deal where the wet erase won't stain it. If you have like a three hour game, it won't leave any residue. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't have any problems with it. So, so are you there like you marking off hit boxes and things like that? Yeah, um, you mark off boxes on your ship as it takes damage. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't see shit about that. That's why I shouldn't skip the first part of the fucking the introduction. Yeah. Well, obviously, it didn't cause you any problems. But what I thought, I was like, where am I going to find this? No, no, nobody even sells this. This is like this is like a dead technology. They're like, we provided the rules for you on a well, track. Well, yeah, the, uh, well, basically the pen they gave me didn't work. I don't see that anywhere in this thing. <laughs> basically, if you're a rules designer and you have a section marked introduction, you might as well say skip this when I'm reading it, because I just go past that. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll post on the guild if I figure that out, but I don't see anything. <laughs> Alright, fair enough. Alright, me, hold on for a sec while I go wipe off my cards. <laughs> 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 so those are the components. Uh, they do give you a little bit of a history of the game. So that's nice because, like, they have, like, a page where they kind of explain the whole history of Klingons and the problems they have with the Federation. Because for me, I have no fucking idea about what's going on. And generally, the Klingons are very warlike, but the Federation are, like, the smart guys who have the great economy. So their technology is kind of superior and their ships are better. So while the Klingons might be good fighters, their their stuff is usually uh, not as good. The equipment on their ships isn't as good as Federation stuff. So I appreciated that they kind of gave me a little bit of history in there because I really had no idea about it. And basically when you play the game, uh, you're, 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 first thing you're going to do is you're going to generate energy. And all the, the biggest thing about the game is it's basically managing your energy. So engines on your ship create energy, and it's very simple. Uh, each box creates one point of energy. And the first thing you do basically is decide how fast you're going. Once you've established your speed, you pay energy for your speed. And then you maneuver during the turn, and you can pay energy to fire your weapons or uh, repair your shields. And then you basically just blast away at the other guy, uh, paying energy to shoot, and the damage is set. The only real die roll you make is a D6 to see whether it hits or not. As far as maneuvering, it's pretty standard where you're going at a certain speed based on the size of your ship, its agility, compared to the speed you're heading, you have a kind of a turn mode that says you have to go straight a certain number of hexes before you can turn one hex face. And you can also slip to the side, like move obliquely, depending on, again, how fast or how big your ship is, is and how fast it's traveling. So, so talk a little bit about, because I think the one of the things that's really confusing about this game, and I'm curious to find that if you thought it was confusing as well, certain things happen in certain impulses of the game. Right. So, like... You have to do this math for each ship to figure out 
depending on how fast they are in what phase they're actually going to move, which I thought, like, I found that just too much mental work. Well, yeah, basically there's eight impulses in a turn. So the idea is that everybody, the chart, the reference card tells you whether or not you move in an impulse. So is each impulse has sub-pulses, four sub-pulses. So just to make it an easy explanation, since there's eight impulses, if you're moving at a speed of eight, you're going to move in sub-pulse four of each of those eight impulses. So in the first impulse, there's four sub-pulses. You would move in the last sub-pulse. Then impulse two, you would move one hex. Then impulse three. So by the end of the turn, after eight impulses, you would have moved eight hexes. If you were moving 16, a speed of 16, you would move in sub-pulse 2 and sub-pulse 4. So, for example, in the first impulse, if my ship's going 16, I move it 1 hex. And then in the fourth sub-pulse, your ship's moving 8, we each move our ships 1 hex. Mm -hmm. So I'm moving twice as fast as you, but... I'm moving once in between each of your moves, and, in addition to moving the same time. And you move it during that impulse. It's not pre-programmed where you want to move? No, okay. it's not pre-programmed. So you aren't putting out orders for your ships or where they're going to move. But the general idea is that if you're faster than the other guy, your speed is higher, you're going to move in more sub-pulses. So by the end of an eight-impulse turn, a ship going speed eight will have moved in eight of, of those eight sub-pulses out of the total of 32 sub-pulses. Hmm. A ship traveling 16 speed will have moved 16 sub-pulses out of the total of 32 sub-pulses in a turn. There, there are things you can do. You can accelerate in an impulse, spend an extra energy, and that gives you one extra move, like one extra sub-pulse. So if, if you're traveling eight and you say, well, I want to put on the gas and I've got some energy, you say, I'm going to, for this sub-pulse, I'm going to go, or this impulse, I'm going to go 8 plus 1. I'm going to accelerate 1 by spending an energy. You would actually move, so the way the speed would work in sub-pulse 2 of the first impulse, we would both move, and then sub-pulse 4, we would both move. But you, to continue to match my speed, you would have to keep spending an energy every time you wanted to do that. So, so you're not stuck at the speed that you decided while your speed doesn't change, you can uh, accelerate with energy and give yeah. yourself extra subpulse that you're moving. It's exactly, and that's why. And and that level of detail and the rules about movement and how you're taking actions and things is where it kind of lost me because largely that is the complexity that is in Starfleet battles is how to handle what happens on what impulse. And I mean, you have lots of more options with drones and things like that, but. Ultimately, the core group of complexity has to do with the impulse structure and what happens in it. So, you know, I, I get that fleet, or I get that Starfleet Battles is, is like, you know, ASL-like and it's just volume of rules and people have them in three ring binders and stuff like that, where Federation Commander, you can buy, <clears throat> you know, for like 12 bucks, a unified rule book that gives you all the rules for the entire series. So I get that part of it, but this kind of, thing is still the same you know screwing around with your cards and your ships and figuring out during which you know segments they're going to do things it kind of lost me there i think it's a i think it's worth it if you're really into like you want a detailed sci-fi ship to ship combat game but 
if you're not down for that, there are other options out there that I think are going to be like a much better bang for the buck for you. Yeah, I don't agree. I thought it was pretty easy. I mean, basically, I just had the sequence of play in front of me, and you just say, hey, it's sub-pulse one. Everybody who's going at, at 24 plus one or speed 32 moves, then, hey, it's sub-pulse two. If you're going at this speed, now you move a hex. Now it's this. And, you know, I mean, you can, as long as you progress through it, and uh-huh. I had a D8 to keep track of what impulse I was on. So basically, you, you do your moves, then any defensive fire, then any offensive fire, then you say, okay, now it's the next impulse. And I didn't find it hard at all. So I don't mm-hmm. know if you tried playing it or you just read through it. Because for me, I, I put the counters down and I push them. And that's how yeah. I learned it. And I'll admit, when I first looked at it, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I'm looking at all these impulses. And when you get into sub-pulses, I mean, shit, I didn't even read the shit about the wet erase marker. So obviously, my attention span is not... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I ended up going out and finding on... I want to say it was on Board Game Geek, but it might have been on the ADB forums. Um, somebody had actually printed, like, a cheat sheet that was all color-coded, and I just printed that out and used that when I was messing around with it. And, you know, I, I guess you can follow it that way, but I don't know. It just seemed like an overly complex way to get very, pretty much very little payoff. Yeah, I think it, I actually liked it because I think by using this subpulse system, you avoid the annoying aspect of having to plot out moves in advance or there is, it, it really does show you an advantage of having a higher speed as opposed to being able to say, well, I'm going faster than you. I can travel more distant. In this way, you also get extra pulses where you can do things where the other guy can't, which becomes really important because in the game, the, the, some of the key tactics in the game are which fire arcs are your weapons facing and are the shields that are facing your enemy good or are they down? And Initially, you're basically chugging towards each other, and you're going to blast away at each other. But there, as you take damage, the the tactic is to try to get your weak side away from your opponent, and get your while at the same time you're trying to get to his vulnerable areas. So you'll see people maneuvering to try to like if your shields are down on one side to try to get around and and, do, and you can actually kind of surprise your opponent even though you're not having a pre-plot movement because. Your opponent might not know what speed you're going to choose or what acceleration you're going to do. Um, so I thought, I thought from the dog fighting perspective, I did a dog fight between like a Klingon, I don't know what the fuck it was, like a battle cruise, who knows? To a Klingon ship and a and a the the Enterprise, and uh, they, I even playing it against myself, I found out it was I found that it was pretty enjoyable. You know, because some of these games just, I mean, while they might look cool when you're when you're reading the rules and looking at the cards and everything, when you actually sit down and play them, as uh, Keith has found, they're not that much fun. So that's uh, so I, I I did like it. I I don't I didn't find it too complicated, and not mm-hmm. to insult my own intelligence, but I don't think I'm really into complex rules. So I found just by taking it slow and walking through the impulses, I kind of got used to the way it worked, and I enjoyed it. And now I didn't fight a big fleet battle. I just fought basically a duel between two ships, but I think if anything, that brings out the tactical complexity more because you're dealing with more stuff. Yeah, um, I don't think that's a game where you're actually going to sit down and have two people control like ten ships apiece. I mean, the, there's a pretty active group of these guys um, that play Starfleet battles locally, and usually it's like eight guys around one table fight, fighting one battle. 
Right. Because there is a, enough complexity where you wouldn't want to be managing that for like a ton of shifts because you'd have a bunch of downtime as you planned out energy allocation and stuff. Yeah, I like that they did the fleet scale. I would like to try it because that's kind of what I'm into more than the tactics of, uh, basically space stuff is as close as I get to naval wargaming. You know, that's probably as far as I'm going to get. Um, so let me just run through some stuff real quick as far as what the game has to offer as far as options. Uh, generally you're, like I said, you're, you're moving into speed. You're calculating your, how far you can on your turn mode so you can turn. Uh, you're, you're going to be firing at the enemy. Uh, there, there are maneuvers you can make. You can do high energy turns. There's rules for evasive maneuvering, emergency deceleration. The different types of weapons they have, they have a whole variety of weapons because while they do have the Klingons and the Federation, they have some other races that are, are, are represented. So there's phasers, photon torpedoes, disruptors, which disruptors are kind of like the Klingons' big weapon. You also have drones that you can fire, so it's, they're like kind of guided missiles. So you're firing drones, and the idea is kind of to have the drones come in at the same time as you're closing with your opponent, so you can kind of, uh, you know, overwhelm his defenses a little bit. He can't focus on on all the different targets that are coming in. They have rules for cloaking, so even though this is not uh, the Romulan border game, cloaking is is a rule that's in here because I I really think they just kind of dump. I imagine they dump the rulebook into the game regardless. Do they? Is the rulebook the same? I don't know if the rulebook's the same for Romulan border. The rule after after I think two thousand and nine maybe I think they were the same. So if you do go decide to go out and buy this game, make sure you're getting the latest version. My experience with uh, Amarillo Design Bureau is that you need to make sure you're buying whatever the latest thing they're putting out is because they do some just weird quirky stuff, um, and and that's one of them. So you have rules in there that'll work for the the Romulan borders law. It's part of the reason why the cover on that I think is just like a blue cardstock, black and white photocopied thing rather than a full color, you know, nice cover. Now, now Keith, my rules are from twenty five eleven. Is that going to be a problem? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so then uh, for for the super nerdy stuff with the sci-fi warfare, they've also got labs. You can land marines on the other guy's ship with uh, with transporters. Uh, you have tractor beams, which I guess you can trap drones when they try to get in through your shields. There are a couple scenarios that were offered. There's a dual scenario. There's one where you're attacking a convoy. There's one where you're trying to stop a planet killer. There's a training scenario where you shoot down drones. I treated that like the introductory section. I skipped that one. Uh, and then there's like a base assault. So they actually have a card for a star base, which is cool because I guess the star bases rotate during the game and then that's how they shoot. So I thought that was going to be. So in general, to sum it up, I, I, I liked the game. I was surprised, you know, I bought it. I didn't actually think I would like it because I'm not really into Star Trek. Uh, I plan on playing it again. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I really love the cards and I really love the, the player reference card, which while like I said, Keith mentioned that the movement can be complicated in that, you know, in this sub, sub phase, this guy moves and then the next sub phase, we both move and then I only move. I thought the cards really explained it to me and I love quick reference cards where I don't have to refer to the rules. And it seemed like after a couple minutes of playing this game, I really wasn't opening the rule book very much. So I thought that was great and I really enjoyed uh, playing it. I think the big counters look awesome. I hate the cardboard maps they they gave with it 
But I imagine uh, they must have some kind of thing you can buy where you get a sheet instead of using the cardboard pieces. Because what I would do, instead of doing the, the rolling map where they say you can move the cardboard maps to the back, I would just, when my guys were starting to get to the edge of the map, I would just then move them all 12 hexes to the left or whatever, you know, so it would give them more room. So, you know, move, yep. move everything over 12 hexes. But yeah, you could do that. More easily. Now, what did you think about online play? I haven't done it. Uh, Ralph has signed up for it, and Ralph is dying to kick my ass at this game. So we're playing on March 3rd. So so that was one of the things that irritated me about it as well, is that they basically have this like Java client, and you have to pay money monthly to have a subscription to play people online. So instead of being able to just go to Vassal and play this on Vassal, you've got to, again, keep paying for this game you already own and the right to play it through a customized Java applet. I think that's okay. Yeah. I would I would pay for Vassal if you had to. How much is it? I, I mean, it's it's not cheap. I want to say it's like fifteen ninety nine or something for one game. And oh, yeah, and you are at the mercy of you don't pay for it once. It's not a one time payment thing because I'd be okay with that even. But I'm not down for it. You're at the mercy of how many people are online, and the majority of the people that are online are online for Starfleet battles, not for Federation Commander. Yeah, so that that would suck. But Ralph told me he paid for it. I, if he thinks I'm paying for it, he might. Be. <laughs> I'll just I'll just set up my own map, and then he'll have to describe to me where my ship is. <laughs> I really don't know why somebody doesn't just throw up a, a vassal module and just not publicly distribute it. You know? Yeah. I'll just have work. It should be easy enough to do. To be honest, it's a black map with a counter on it. I agree, and you, you could just use. Yeah, you, you can just... a turn mode counter, a slip mode counter, and a ship. Yeah. And then the ship sheets, which shouldn't be a huge deal to do, and I, you know, I won't get into it, but I don't think it would be, like, any big deal to code that up. Oh, yeah. Most so it's just so having that, the assets. So that's basically it. I'd say the game, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I was going to give it a 7, but after talking about it and hearing Keith's uh, comments about it, I think I'm actually going to give it an 8. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Bastard. <laughs> uh, it is. It's a good game. I'm not going to knock it. It's it's the game I have of choice. I've I've bought the border and then the attack and then the first three little briefing packs that give you ships because um, those are all grouped together. Um, if anybody wants to know how to buy this game, you need a PhD or you need to go online and read what other people have said about it because. True. There's a ton of different product there, and there are certain pathways to buy things, and you can actually buy stuff out of this series and not have any of the necessary things to use it if you right. don't so, buy things in the right order. So, Keith, the general idea is you buy border and then yep. attack from the other side. So Klingon border, Romulan attack, or Romulan border, and then Klingon okay. attack, right? You can do that. I didn't do that because I wanted more of the Klingon ships. So I bought uh, the border and attack of Klingon, and then if you've done that, they make another product called Space. So there's a Klingon Space and a Romulan Space, uh, and you can buy that, and it's everything. It's just the components and none of the rules. So you get all the ship sheets, all the counters, all the stuff that would have been in the uh, border release, minus all the rules and marker and all that kind of stuff. Do they ever sell, like, a map sheet? 
You can go and buy things a la carte from Amarillo. Okay. So you can actually go and whatever you want to buy, you can buy like, you know, individual pieces. That's how they got in trouble with Federation Command or uh, Empire, Federation and Empire. Right. Is right now, if you go to their site and buy the game, it's cheaper, but it's missing like important components of the game. So I don't know why people are buying it or maybe they're not, but you can buy it and they tell you right on the order page, like, oh, hey, it doesn't come with a map. <laughs> we ran, we sold out of the map. I don't like games sold like this. I, th- I do have the map though, if anyone's willing to buy it, because I have, <laughs> I have that game I've never played. But yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I'm going to give it an eight, uh, bumped up one for Keith's disdain for the game. And, uh, it's probably pretty high beers, to be honest, because while if you can just keep track of when you have to move, everything else is really a D6 roll. I mean, the damage is always the same. Uh, you do have to sometimes put your, you can switch your shields to the side where the bad guy's shooting at you. So there are some decisions you have to make, but I think you can actually drink some beers and play this game. Do you think your history as a miniatures war game allows you to play this game a little bit easier? Because I I see stuff like this, and I just get turned off. I've only played board games that come in a box with everything you need to play this game ever. I don't even like expansions let alone have. Yeah, but you can play this game with just whatever. Right, but, but, oh yeah, there is, there is an infinite number of plays in that game and scenarios that you can set up with just And the type box. in Federation Commander, like right. 13 things come up. So, right. like you're saying, you have to have a PhD to figure out how to, how to buy it. I just seeing if that, you do. just turns me off. Same with Battletech. People have recommended Battletech to me, but I search Battletech and it, to me, it looks like a miniatures game, and I don't want to play a miniatures game. I want to play a board game. Oh, it is a miniatures game. That game's super complicated. That game is amazing. I'm just going to go on record and say. But yes. I can't figure out how to buy heat it. Sinks, yeah. Heat like controlling your heat and trying to shoot LRMs. Yeah. I have That's a awesome. lot of experience. I have a lot of experience with that game. Yeah, it's a great game. I want to, but I yeah, can't. I played but it back before. We'll the get into that. But yeah, game. so definitely, I think that's. I, I think your. I think your review of it, this game is fair. I mean, I don't think. You know, again, they wouldn't call it. They wouldn't say it's the you know the light version of Starfleet Battles if it if it wasn't you know accessible and that you could work on it without a rule book and <clears throat> that well, you, you know, you know what there's tons me, of options there. What helped me is uh, when you're when you're reading the rules, they don't get right away into like suicide shuttlecraft and stuff like that. Like the the way they present it is is very smart and. Yeah. That the the Starfleet Battles games you'd be reading and suddenly suddenly suicide shells what the hell's that and then really if they would just call drones missiles I think they'd be better off just call it I, I would agree with that because drones mean something totally different to me I don't understand what it is yeah so I, I don't know why I mean maybe someone owns the rights to the word missile <laughs> I don't know why they is that something invented later on in Star Trek <laughs> so that's it. I, I'm giving it an eight. I'm giving it seven beers. Uh, I also like Battletech, but I'm old school classic Battletech. No clan screw. So yeah. that's how I feel. Uh, you are, you are definitely correct. Clan screwed everything up. All right. Jason, what do you got? Um, Battle of the Bulge Cells. Um, okay. I'm excited about this one. Yeah. This is Revolution. This is Revolution Games. Uh, the designer is Roger Miller. Um, Mark Mahaffey, who I know, um, um, Lucas has a hard on for. Mark Mahaffey did the graphics on the game. Um, 
so this is yeah a revolution game it comes in like a magazine format i should i should mention um andrew gave me this game from the guild um when he was moving is that the guy who's in saudi yeah. arabia yeah because it it okay. uses dice and he couldn't take dice with him so he he sent it to me That's which amazing. i really appreciate um i saw it and i'm not a world war two guy two guy at all um it just doesn't can, can i can i can i just interrupt real quick jason does Andrew not have an iPhone that can generate D6 he, he results? Does. Yeah, and, and he did talk okay. about that. I think a lot of it was he, he could only take so much with him. Um, and this game doesn't come with a die, so he could have just put it in his bag. But He's, He yeah, gave it to you. Yeah. I get it. Uh, which I, I, I appreciate. I wasn't super jazzed about it because, like I said, I'm not a World War II guy. But I was looking for something light to play, uh, and, and this kind of crossed my eye as I was looking through the games I have. And it's, it's really good. Um, I'll, I'll put that, put that out there up front. So it's a pretty traditional hex encounter game. Um, the scale is each hex is a mile across. Uh, the units are, it says a collection of battalions, companies, and batteries. So it's one to three battalions per counter. It's, it's, it's a higher level. It's not, um, it's not super detailed. In, in anything it's doing. So it's a chip pool game. Each, each player, uh, th- this is allies against the Germans, right? Uh, in, in France. Say that again? It's the Bolts, right? Yeah. Um, so each side has their own cup with their own active. So that's not, that's not France. That's Belgium. You're right. It's all the same. It's, so, they're using French you're, words. Yeah. Dude. To everybody who is French and Belgian that may listen to this I, podcast I ever, I disagree with that. French people, Belgian, totally different people. It's, we'll it's French words that. on the map, and I, I'm terrible with French. So, um, anyway. But thanks to uh, our intervention, there is a difference between all these countries. Otherwise, we'd all just be one country. So let's be clear also. On that. That's Dave. Um <laughs> <laughs> So each each side has their their own cup that they're pulling activation chips out of, and there's also uh, what the game calls tactical chips, which are kind of special act activations that that you can do, like extra move. Um, the allies have an air chip that they can use to impede the Germans and what they're doing. So from there, it's like I said, it's pretty traditional. Uh, the counters have uh, co- uh, attack, defense. And movement ratings on there. The, the game uses threes pretty predominantly, which is interesting to me. Um, just from, a, I, I think in twos and fives, and this game uses threes for those math-brained people out there. Um, the thing that really jumped out at me as I was reading the rules is there's no combat phase. It's all kind of one big phase. You activate when a when an activation shit is pulled. You can either activate all of that division or activate one single chit. Uh, so if you're activating a division, you activate each chit individually, and it does all of its movement and all of its combat, flips to its use side, and then you can keep going for the rest of the chits that are on the board for that division. Um, so mo- uh, combat takes movement points, and there are three levels of attack that you can do. Uh, a light attack takes three movement points, but it gives you a minus one, I think actually a minus two DRM, to your, to your attack roll. You can do a medium attack, which is minus zero. It's just a regular die roll. Uh, or you could do a heavy attack, 
which takes nine movement points, uh, and you get a plus one to your move to your to your die roll. Yeah, that's that's lifted right out of great campaigns of the Civil War. Oh, really? Yeah, same the, system. The designer oh. references um, the. Yes, Stonewall Jackson's way runs the exact same way. It's not bad. It's um, I want to say Korea. I'm not saying he stole it from Stonewall no, Jackson's way. But that's, that's used other places. Yeah, they have a movement system where you you pay a certain amount. Of, you can kind of attack on the move, and you pay a certain amount of movement points. And the more you pay, the better bonus mm-hmm. you get in the comp. Yeah, he he credits uh, Korea by Victory Games. For doing yeah, I mean they could have stolen it both from the yeah, same game. Yeah. They all came the and I really game. like that. And and it's since there's no movement phase and then attack phase, you really have to think about which units you're moving when. Um, the that little aspect to me really really hooked me. Uh, yeah, it's a great system. I love that. I love it too. I thought it was a lot of fun. So I guess the balance of the game kind of threw me off a little bit. It seems like the Germans. Uh, they have the initiative up front and they have more activations. Um, each turn as you're going through it, each side will have a different number of chip pools that they can do. Um, so the Germans start off with more chip pools and better units on the map. But the game quickly uh, turns around to where the Allies have more initiative. I think it's like three turns in out of six or whatever. Um, the Allies get a lot of guys on the on the map but getting victory points in this game seems very easy for the Germans. So even though they're impeded as you get further along, it's really easy for the Germans. All they have to do is get uh, a unit on uh, bordering the, the Meuse River at the end of the turn, and they get a victory point. So they auto-victory at 20, which I haven't seen. But by the end of the game, they have about 12. Um, and it's hard for the Allies to have 12 victory points by that that time because the allies only get victory points for being in certain cities and eliminating German units. So I think it might be a little bit unbalanced. I haven't played the game a ton of ton of times to see it, um, but in all the games I've played, it has been uh, a German victory at, at the end. So the Germans drive to the Meuse, park there, and just rack up VPs. Yep. yep. So it's not it's not certain hexes where they have to be, which I think makes a little bit more sense. Being on those bridge hexes would make sense. Anywhere on that river, they, they get they get victory points. So you can kind of game it a little bit. Um, and he does address that in the rules, saying you know as the as the allies, you really need to slow the Germans down from making their advance. Um, and as the Germans, you need to push early on and try to get to the river as soon as you can. But even the allies can set up a fence along along the river. Um, the Germans can still sneak in and get some, some couple early victory points, and if you don't dig them out of there, they're going to continue r- racking those up from turn to turn. Um, but even even with that there, I I don't really care about imbalance in games. Honestly, it's it's more about the experience of playing, and this game is a lot of fun. I, I I've played it solo, and it's engaging solo, uh, which is saying something. And it is chip pool, so that kind of adds that that fog of war up front that you don't know who's going to activate next, so it, it enables that solo play. And I have played it opposed uh, with a buddy, and it's it's a good game to just sit down with a couple beers. Um, we kind of had dinner 
and, and ate and drank while we played it. Uh, kind of shot the shit, going back and forth, pulling chits and <clears throat> fighting out this bulge, bulge battle. So complexity, it's it's pretty easy to play. It's probably you know nine or ten beers. Um, it's all really up front. It's all things that we've done before, which isn't a knock at all. It's I, I like that. I like to just be able to sit down. It uses all you know similar language, similar format of rules. Um, How long does it take to play, Jason? It took us about three hours to play, um, and that's with all the beer drinking and all the bullshitting in between. So it's probably a two and a half, two hour game once you really know the rules and you can just sit down and play it. Um, can the uh, can the airborne hold out in Bastogne? So the airborne. Um, I mean, my my point is like the games there. Given the right circumstances, can you create a, a historical result as the Allied player? Can you hold out with the 101st and best only? Um, the 101st isn't in this game. Because it just surrounds the town of Salas, right? Oh, yeah. I see. So this is not the entire no, bowl. No, it's a tiny little portion of it. So we have, right. for the Americans, uh, for the British, we have the 29th Brigade, 29th Armor. Um, the, the U.S. has uh, 84th Infantry. And the fourth cav, and then second armor. So the scale is is uh, this is like a small segment of the battle. Yep. yep. From pretty much from the Meuse River uh, east to I don't know. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say these words. I can't pronounce these. Um, but it, yeah, it's a very small portion of the of the battle. So it's like what the northern part? I don't know. Like I said, I don't know anything about World War Two. and that being said this is a fun game it was fun that's good i I thought the map looked really nice yeah the map is the counters were meh i thought the counters were meh yeah i mean they're they're kind of if you think of a decision games they're they're kind of that counter quality that counter art um but the the map is really it looks like it's drawn with a like a colored pencil is this like a, are the, what are the, the numbers on the counters? Is it like attack, defense, movement? Yes. Like I said earlier. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm just joking. Um, so low, com- low complexity, it's exactly what I was looking for. Um, you know, especially after wrestling with where there is discord. Um, it really hit the spot for me. Rating wise, I'd give well, it probably, news. I don't know, I'd give it about a seven. I mean, it's not groundbreaking. It's not, a must own by any means. Um, but that being said, I really enjoyed it and it's, it's going to stay in my collection. And it's also making me want to buy more revolution games. Um, they have another using the same system for North Africa. Um, not the one that Mike Ranella did. Uh, Roger Miller did another one called Gazala. And, uh, it really makes me Jones to get wa- uh, Washington's crossing, which has nothing to do with this game, except that it's, the same designer and the same company, but it's not the same system or anything. Um, so I, I think that is important for a small company like Revolution to put out these low-cost games that really get you interested in what they're doing. So that sells. All right. Yeah, I, and I pronounced it Cellus until I played it and actually looked up how to say it because, again, my... Yeah, it's just Cell, sell, right? Is it just Cell? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. If it was, if it's, if it's, it has a French pronunciation, yeah, I think it would just be right, Cell. Cell, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm still mispronouncing it because my French is terrible. 
Well, I thought it sounded better when it was Sella. It says Sella. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so right. I'm sorry. So, fun factor and beer factor. So it's probably about ten beers. I mean, it's it's pretty easy to play. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, I, I'd give it about a seven, seven and a half. And I am going to try to line up a an interview with the designer and kind of get his take on the game and and what Revolution nice. is doing because I think he's involved in the company as well as just being a designer for them. Oh, very yeah. cool. That sounds fascinating. Well, I know of a website that would be happy to host Sure. <laughs> yeah, let's make sure we put it over there. What else you got? You got anything else to say about that? Nope. Fun game. Small package. Hey, do we, do we want to take a quick break? Because I want to grab a drink real quick. Sure. Because sure. I want to be here for this, so. I don't know. I see how it is. No, I waited through your whole fucking review to go get a drink. And break. Yeah, going through and doing that. The Band of Brothers video. I had so much more respect for people who do like video playthroughs because just stupid little things when you're thinking about what you want to say and not what you're actually doing. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm move. I'm given like five movement point infantry, ten movement points. I mean, just just flat out stupid stuff that you know. In my run up to it, I was like, oh no, this will, this is perfect. I feel totally comfortable talking about this yeah. game. And then as soon as the camera comes on, and I'm like, how do I have to sequence this yep. again? <laughs> and I'm just thinking about, like, the features of the game I want to show rather than the rules. I get called on it all it just, the time. Like, I'm, like yeah, while I'm talking on the fly, trying to trying to keep a camera pointed where I want it, trying to move my hands to where they're actually pointing at what I'm trying to look at, and then get the rules right on top of it, it's I, I'm shit at it. Yeah, it's re- it's really complicated. I think that's the nice thing about uh that's the nice thing about Enrico when he does it is like his videos are so long and generally he's pretty good about the rules, but he's come back a few times and added like an addenda to the end of one of his videos and just been like, yeah. "Look, Here's I screwed the rules up. up. Get over. It. Yeah, get over it. You're right. I did. Shame on me. Uh-huh. Maybe it'll make a difference. Maybe it won't." <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was kind of a cool attitude to have about yeah, it. And as I, <clears throat> when I put up the videos for for sale, uh, Roger Miller did come in and say, you know, hey, here's what you did wrong. And and part of why I put them up is to show that and say, uh-huh. you know, <clears throat> and I call them explorations as a way of saying this isn't a review. This is just me showing you usually my yeah. first playthrough game. So any uh-huh. any rules corrections or anything are definitely welcome. And he he definitely took that opportunity. Yeah, well, that's great, I'm, and I'm totally dead serious. If you want to, if you want to do uh, an interview, I will host it uh, on Games on Tables. If you ever want to do an article or anything like that, I'm sure. I'm seriously happy to have more people contributing content. All right, come back, kiss the wife, spank the kids, get a drink. It's time for bed now. Yeah, I did. I'm doing wine and beer, so. Wine and beer. Whiskey, I say, for posting on the guild. Soco and tea. <laughs> now, did you uh, did you take part in National Margarita Day yesterday? I didn't. I think in California, every day is Margarita. <laughs> <laughs> well, here in North Carolina, it comes but once a year oh, and was uh, well celebrated. That's what I call Saturday. Yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna I was gonna play polis with that new guy on the guild, and I typed him. Yeah. Up. I'm like, dude, I don't know, because 
it's my wife's birthday tomorrow, and she's already going to be pissed because I'm podcasting today. <laughs> and I said, and I'm going to be drinking after after podcasting, so I'll try. And he goes, yeah, I'm hungover anyway. <laughs> Not a good idea. <laughs> Did you read the rules for that game? No. It, I don't know. It, it's not necessarily a war game, but it's it's a lot of fun. You reviewed it, so I feel like I know everything I need to know about the game, yeah. Jason. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say I reviewed it. I talked about it. Well, you talked about it like it gets. There's more combat as the turns yeah. go on. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely pay All attention right. to your economy. Hey, do you guys ever listen? Do you guys listen to? Do you guys watch a lot of video reviews? Not all the time. You ever watch that? What's that guy, Marco Anardo? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I the only guy that thinks he has the most annoying voice in the entire world? No. Do you don't notice he has like kind of a sing-song voice? Where he's like, "You take the yeah. infantry," and then I don't mind it. I, I actually, yeah, so I know a lot of people really like it. Him. Really doesn't bother me. I know a lot of people who sound like that, so it doesn't bother me too much. But there are times where I. I'm not down with the way that he's approached the game yeah. or the whole process. Um, yeah. So, but that's, I mean, that's, you know, every, and that's just going to either strike people the right way or it's yeah. not. And then, you know, same thing with voice too, I assume is what you're saying, but yeah, I, I like him generally and generally really like his reviews. Um, but there've been a couple of times where I'm watching them like, wow, where did you, well, I don't, I don't yeah. usually watch. I generally listen to the videos. Mm-hmm. Callendale. I loved. I would paint all the time while I listen to Calendale. Uh, okay. but, but something about that guy where he'd be like, and then you do the melee, and then you do the fighter. And I'm like, I cannot take this anymore. Like, just the way the tone goes. But he's super popular. I mean, and not to say that he doesn't do a great job. He's put in a lot of time to review these games. But it, for me, it was I couldn't listen to more than five minutes of it without. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, I, I, I like him, um, and his videos have been good. Uh, the guy, the other guy that I like uh, video reviews from is uh, Rocky Vikings. <laughs> Don't listen to Rocky Nose Streams. <laughs> that guy has this weird voice. I get knocked <laughs> on my voice a lot. He's got these strangely, strangely hairy hands. I'm hairsuit. Some say he's a hobbit. <laughs> my feet haven't been on the videos, but man, I have some hairy feet. No, and, and I, I, I just seem like no one, I've never seen anyone else mention it. I thought maybe I'm the only person. I, yeah. I think you, I think you are the no, only you're person. Not, you're not the only person. The sing-song quality of his voice is just, it makes me berserk. I think having a really? Kickstarter for your YouTube page cracks me up. Oh, does he have that? Uh, he, he, he does a Kickstarter to continue doing videos for games he gets for free. And that, that wow. whole thing just kind of, yeah. Hey Jason, have you met Callendale? Yeah, we've we've played games together. Oh god, yeah. Seems like the, uh, you guys played Distant yeah. Plane, right? Yeah, he was at Con- I, you I didn't love... see him at Constant World last year. Oh, no, I talked to him for a minute. I love all the construction that's always going on in his apartment <laughs> complex. Wherever he lives, he's always yeah, like, I pass his house every day on my way to work. No, he seems he seems like a guy who's great to watch videos. I don't know if I'd want to hang out with him, but oh, I love listening him. to the videos, yeah, he's, he's hilarious. I mean, so basically, he's a good yeah, guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and he's exactly the same in person as he is on the videos. Like he's rambly and uh, kind of all over the place. Oh yeah, I probably listened to a hundred of his videos, and I, of course, I listen to your videos. But uh, you know, you know, that's about it. Keith, who are you going to say you like? 
I, I did I did watch some of the Ghost Panzer thing. Yeah. Yeah, but you know the problem is I don't want to get another tactical system. So at some point I was like, I'm out because I don't want. I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I think I think it's a super crowded marketplace for those games. Um, they're they're going to appeal to a certain type of gamer, um, and that's not a good or bad thing. It just means that it's, there are people who are more just are just predisposed to like that tactical level more to be down in the weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the company? And it 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 ultimately is kind of a vanilla game for me. Like I felt like I didn't feel like this was on the Eastern Front. You know, the the forces were the right thing. Everything was there, but it never really screamed. This is Eastern Front to me. So everything just kind of felt really generic and vanilla and, you know, it's a good game. I would never ever hesitate introducing it to anybody. Um, it'll probably be the first tactical game that my son and I tackle, um, when he gets old enough for it. Um, but again, you know, I like a little bit, I think there's more opportunity for choice in other games. You don't have a lot of choices in this game. You have a high frequency of choices, which I wouldn't confuse with having a depth of choice or complexity of choice and that's the, where the, the game prob- the problem lost is some points the, for me. The solution in most cases is the same solution every time. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, there's just it's not a very there's nothing there's not a lot of depth to it. But is there's that a scenario a problem? Is that a scenario problem or is that a game problem? It, it's largely a game problem. I mean, okay. when you have when you introduce rules like you know, whether you can go up and down stairs in houses and whether or not you can, whether there's sewer movement or things that give you a greater degree of three dimensions of play and play within specific areas, that tends to create more complexity in what you have to keep track of. With a standard tactical, a hex is a hex is a hex, it causes an issue, right? Because um, you can see through houses, but you can't like move around them. So your units are always taking the least optimal way to do things. So it, again, some of that is a good thing because it reduces a ton of rules overhead. Um, and that's surely a good thing. Yeah, but on the other hand, you don't have, you don't have a lot of different ways to approach a, a battle. You're not going to look at something and be like, Oh, well that was a really surprising way you did that. Yeah, I, I think in general, my goal is I, I like to learn a rule system to where it becomes second nature, and then I really start to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And so I want to pick a rule system for each period and have that be my rule system because I have a limited capacity of what you know what I can kind of learn. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I would never hesitate to recommend the game to anybody. Um, I think it's a good game. I you know that's why I took the time in my written review that came out today to specify, look, this is how this kind of stacks up in a couple of different key areas uh, against ASL and Conflict of Heroes and Combat Commander. I mean, it's not exhaustive by any means of, you know, who I'm stacking it up against, but I think when you say Tactical World War II, those are the three games that come to most people's mind. Um, you know, Panzer Grenadier has a good argument to be in there, and, you know, they certainly have a really unique take on command and control because of cascading activations, and, you know, again, you have that worldwide uh, scope for it, and even some really interesting little um, campaign game-type situations where you can follow a specific unit or follow a specific commander. There's, like, a role-playing element to it, which is kind of neat, um, with some of the expansion, leader expansions, but, you know, I think most people think Combat Commander, Conflict of Heroes, ASL, 
right. as the three biggies uh, in the marketplace. And and I, the argument I would make is that Band of Brothers should definitely be a part of that conversation, um, which those are all really good games. And I, I don't think there's anything bad about it. Um, and I yeah, think I, there I, are some I, problems with that game that you have in, in other games as well. Combat, Combat Commander gives you that you don't have a good sense of free will in that game. You're dealing, you're dealing with cards. So, you know, over a lot of plays, better players are going to win more frequently. The cards aren't the thing determining whether or not you're a good player or you can play a good game. That's not it at all. But you don't have the same free will that you have in a game like Awakening the Bear where you can just kind of move around and your only limiting factor is, you know, movement points and activation points and things like that. Uh, so that's something that I think, you know, there's a trade-off with each of these systems and you kind of either accept the conceit of that system's limitations or you don't. And wherever that falls, where you fall on that spectrum is really going to determine the game that's most appropriate for you or that you're going to have the best feel for. Um, so that's why even though I'm not a fan of uh, Conflict of Heroes, I would never, ever begrudge anybody loving that game. I just, you know, it's a good game. Uh, I well, certainly... I, I, I tend to like games that do have command problems that give you... So I think probably Combat Commander is a game I do need to explore at some point, if only because there's like 400 fucking games attached to that rule set, which I could actually enjoy instead of Conflict of Heroes. But I did buy Panzer Grenadier, thinking I would uh-huh. love it, mm-hmm. East Front, and hated it. Uh-huh. I mean, like, it was... We, I played it with my buddy, my BFF Greg, and we played, and I, after like two hours, I'm like, you even want to play this anymore? And we were like, no, yeah. we just packed it up, and, cause the scenarios were all really off balanced, and, you know, I, it just, I, I, it was so long ago, I can't even remember why, but I wanted to love it, cause it looked great, and that's kind of how Avalanche Press rolls. They look beautiful, and I hate it. You like the yellow colored open steps? I thought, the, well, and I, but I love the little, I loved how the little troops looked. Yeah, you know, they do look running, nice. But yeah, then the troops were on top of them, and I hated What's that. What's cool in that, well, I thought what was cool about that game was that it came with like 91 scenarios. Right. Now, whether they play tested even a fifth of those is, <laughs> is up for grabs. It sounds like your experience was that not so much. I only played maybe four or five different scenarios from it. Um, I always felt like, again, it was really obvious because usually you have some giant mass of either Germans or Russians moving across the map, and the sheer volume of units that you have largely determines, you know, the amount of real estate you need to take up and what you're going to do. Um, and that's not the case in, in other games. So, you know, that's something that, you know, again, it, it, it's going to strike some people and they're going to love it and, no, and I mean, like Comic Commander. Comic Commander kind of like a play cards and you can move on the left, move in the center, move on the right type game? No, it's not one of the Command and Colors games. You have, uh, you, cards literally drive everything and in fact they have random events that happen on them. It has the dice roll in the bottom. So if you think you've played a card, a card driven game that uses cards frequently, you need to play Combat Commander because every single thing about that game is, is the cards. Uh, they in- tell you what orders you have at your, uh, at the ready, uh, they'll tell you if you can, you know, if you use it to take an action, if you draw an event card, you draw another card, and then it'll tell you what event has happened there. Uh, the turns are variable length and are only ended when you pull a card that has like a little time indicator on it. It's just a, it's a really neat, engaging variable system, and the, the, the tactical problems that 
Chad Jensen was trying to solve from, and, and it's funny because this is what I really think is hilarious. The more I, the older I get and the more I think about the way that tactical games have developed. So I, I forget what movie it was, but there's this line and a guy says that people either spend their lives trying to prove their father's wrong or to live up to them and <laughs> live up to their father's expectation. And I feel like in the tactical World War II world, that uh, ASL is the father that everybody is either trying to prove wrong or live up to. And that may or may not be deserved, right? Because I think everyone, even who plays it, can concede that that game has very little to do with reality of World War II combat necessarily. But it is by far the most engaging and deep tactical rule set that presents the broadest variety of puzzles and solutions. So as everybody has kind of built their games, in a lot of ways what it feels like are reactions to the problems of world uh, of uh, ASL. So in Combat Commander, one of the things that they get at is that one of these tactics that is really popular in ASL is you wait till the last second and you run like a leader into the victory building and you win. Well, that sucks. That That's one of the problems with ASL. And that's why um, in this game they give you these really crazy variable turn lengths. And that is just a ton of fun. And then they have, like, a casualty limit where if you take enough losses, the game's just over, right? You may be very successful and you may be about to win, but if you have just thrown your units into the meat grinder, they just call the game on your behalf. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to try. I think I might actually be interested in checking out Combat Commander just because... I know in miniatures, my game system of choice is Piquet, which is totally card-driven, and I like losing that type of absolute eye-in-the-sky control over your troops. So Yeah, you don't, and you have to really prioritize here what you want to do, because you may have a couple of things that you need to accomplish, but if you only get one move, you darn well better hope that <laughs> your opponent doesn't have a bunch of move cards to right. kind of go and cut you off where you need to get moving to. So, you know, again, like I said, I think people can be really hard on the card-driven nature of the game and say that, well, I had a handful of garbage for, like, three turns in a row and it ruined the entire scenario. Okay, I'll concede that. But what I won't concede is that good players at this game who understand the hand management minimize those effects. As you well, get better and better at this well, game, and, and, those are and, way minimized. Part of the problem is, too, with the, the card-driven games, too, is when players lose control over their troops, some players can't live with that. They can't yeah. stand it, not being able to do precisely exactly what they want. That's a problem with a lot of games where when I sit down to play a game, I say, who am I in this game? Am I the battalion commander? Am I, am I myself? Or am I playing this guy? You know, sometimes right. games will give you a bad set of cards because you're maybe you're bragging a game, you know? So your cards suck. So sometimes you just have to role play who the leader is. Right. But I think, like, I, I see it when I play Moscowa, where technically I'm Napoleon, but I'm also deciding what formations the battalions are in, which Napoleon had no control over, you know? So right. while it's a fun game, I don't think it's necessarily a simulation of, of what it's like to be Napoleon. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when I, when I play, I ask myself, who am I in this game? Mm-hmm. So in that example, are you the battalion commander? If you're the battalion commander, maybe you don't get to decide uh, all the time where individual squads go. You know, and again, that's why I'm going to put that plug in for Fields of Fire, why I think it's 
why I think it's probably the perfect tactical game is that every single turn in that game after the first, you are going in and evaluating whether or not you uh, get some crazy uh, order from higher up that comes down that you have to deal with. It sounds like whether you like it or not. It, it is just it is just a great great rule system and the yeah, things that the, are I put the marine one on pre order. Yeah, that's coming out this summer. I, I could not I cannot be more excited for it. So I, I'm looking forward to it, and I, I think it's going to be a really I think it's going to really open people's eyes who missed out the first time around. And I again, if you have a chance to trade for it or get a get a copy via P500 or whatever, I'd really recommend you do it. It, it is really the most innovative and interesting. Uh, tactical level World War II game that is out there, in my opinion. When that comes out, we'll have to do a triple review on it. Just all three play it. And... Yeah. That'd be good. Hey, so uh, you got a review for us? I do. I have uh, the second game in the line of battle series, which is called Last Chance for Victory. This was, uh, yeah, so this is the Gettysburg Monster from the Gamers and Dean Essig. It, uh, <laughs> It is it is a beast and a half. That's all I've got to say about well, let's, it. Let's hope your review does it justice. So let's see. Yeah, I'm going to preface this review with um, I did not make it all the way through the campaign because I realized that I'm an idiot partway into it and had moved suboptimally, and it was going to cause like some major issues. Um, so let me run down kind of how this game works and what comes with it, because I think what comes with this game is as important as how it works. So the game comes with the new 2.0 version of the line of battle rules, which I think are the best regimental level rule set for Civil War. And I know people who love Three Days at Gettysburg and Glory and all those games are going to beat me up over it, and they're certainly entitled to their opinion, but this is just such a cool, cool system where you're actually writing out orders and your army commander, whoever happens to be in control of the army at that point, has like an awareness of the battlefield that affects what they can do. It's just really, really You have neat. to write your orders so in this game? You do. You write your orders and then you there's time between when you write the orders and when it gets to its destination and then whether or not the orders are accepted at their destination uh, and then once, and that can be delayed even further, and then they have to, in some cases, if they're not the lowest level commander, they have to then send out couriers as well. So it's this whole cascading rules thing, which if you're looking for a game that deals with command and control and deals with 19th century command and control, this is the game you're looking for because it creates total havoc. Um, one of the, I'll give you a good example about how it creates total havoc. At one point in this game, uh, to simulate sickles getting out of position, they actually have a special rule where your opponent gets to write uh, a note to you, gets to write the order for your unit that has to move them like 10 or 12 hexes away from the rest of the line, and you have to live with wherever they've set you up. Until you can finally do it. So it creates, so historically, Sickles was like, I don't know, it was like a quarter mile or a half mile out of position and just sat there. And in this game, rather than putting some arbitrary, like, you're going to move this guy into this exact spot, because that might not be appropriate for where the battle has evolved, 
you actually get the Confederates writing the the order for uh, the the Union commander there, which is totally crazy. And like I said, you just have to live with it. So it's not like he goes out there one turn and you order him to turn around and come back the next. He, he, I think he has to stay there for two hours, which is uh, like Enough eight time turns. time to get smacked, right. Yeah, it's like eight turns. So if they happen to move him in a position where he can get beat up, that's one tactic you could take. Another tactic you could take would be to just move him to some unimportant area to open up the way for you. Uh, so there, there's a lot of different ways you can handle that depending on where the battle is. And it's little things like that that just make this game amazing. Um, when you open it up and you start reading through the series rules, the scenarios, and the order of battle, uh, and there comes with four booklets. Two booklets for the order of battle and arrival times for the Union and Confederate forces. A book of scenarios that's 52 pages long. And the series rules, which are a really, the total rule length is like 30 pages and maybe 32 pages if you do the uh, all the optional rules, but they read really easily and the best part about it is dipped in to every page are these really awesome designer notes and I feel like everybody needs to, anybody who's writing a rule book about a historical topic that's been well covered should be required to do this. Because yeah, Keith, Keith, real quick. I, I, I own the rules also, and I have to say, reading through the designer notes that Essig wrote were a complete pleasure. And this is the guy who skips that stuff. I skip the intros. I want to get to the game. Uh, knowing a lot about the battle and a lot about the history, uh, I mean, he approached it, it, it like a scholar, and I was amazed at the amount of testing and serious analysis he did on kind of the situation and what was going on in the battlefield. Absolutely. And it a hundred percent shines through. And I'm not going to make you wait till the end of this review. This is the definitive Gettysburg game. The other cool thing that comes in this is that you can play this across a four map setup. And uh, for a lot of people that might be too big for their gaming area, but it also comes with a two map setup and map one is day one and map two is days two and three, and they can overlap to create a new, uh, the whole battlefield, so you can have a two map experience with this rule set in this game, and right. in the scenario booklet, uh, and what about the little mini map? They give you a little mini map for just the, uh, is it the peach orchard? Right, yeah, okay, yeah. So you have a, a little mini-map that's like for a learning scenario. So if you want to get started really quickly with just a straight battle to learn the combat and movement systems, you have that as well. Yeah, so it's kind of like you can play with just a couple brigades or whatever and play around yeah. and kind of learn how combat works. Absolutely. I was. I should have done that, and I didn't. I jumped right into the big four-mapper because I had spent all this time like getting it ready and reading the rules and getting excited about it, and I dove right in. And I'm sitting there like, so uh, when units come into play, they come into play in their historical locations, roughly at their historical times. And I say roughly because, uh, for example, the uh, Irish Brigade, uh, the Iron Brigade rather, um, they come in based on a die roll and there's a series of turns where their probability to enter the game gets better. 
Um, so that's kind of a variable entry. And there are a couple others that are variable entry as well. And, and the entry areas are not necessarily a specific hex that they must move on through, but sometimes it's a series of, you know, here's a quarter mile and they come in somewhere in this quarter mile. But they come in with, with orders already established for them. And at a certain point, their orders eclipse and you have to take control of the game. So if you play with the full scenario or the full campaign, which is just called, I think, uh, Battle of Gettysburg traditional start, you'll start with just a handful of units on the board and then the, everybody races onto the board at the historical time. It's really kind of a neat experience. But what happened was I took uh, Reynolds and kept marching him down the um, Emmitsburg Pike and I was going to march him right through Gettysburg and unfortunately... Uh, I did not have Buford's cavalry hold out. They got just decimated by half. There were a couple of really good uh, die rolls from the uh, Pender's artillery that were supporting Heth's assault on the first day in the morning and managed to knock out some units. And what happens, the way that they deal with the cavalry in this game is really genius because the cavalry were there in the morning and then largely they left. Um, because cavalry really just didn't have a place in the actual battle itself. So they're there and they're set up on, you know, McPherson's Ridge or something like that. And they have this opportunity to stay until they take, start taking, uh, casualties. And as they take casualties, the first turn that you cannot roll, roll less than, or roll more than the casualties you've sustained, and it's only certain types of casualties that count. Um, like morale loss casualties don't count. But once you can't roll higher than that, they just disappear. You just pull them off the map. So that happened to me earlier than I had wanted it to. And it meant that I had Reynolds still stuck coming down the road. And I ended up with a, a gap in the actual logic for the game. And the reason why, and this is something I really want to say here... A lot of games don't respect gamers. And what I mean when I... No, what I, I this, is, this is absolutely a key part of Essex design for the game. Yeah. And what, what he's, I... He's trying to protect you from yourselves. Right? Well, so... I'll say kind of. So what I'll say here is that a lot of, a lot of games are designed so that they don't respect players. Either they spoon-feed you things, or they overly script what's going on. When you get on the map with this game... If you don't follow a good optimal path and you choose to do something stupid, it'll let you fall on that's your awesome. face. And that's exactly what happened. I should never have kept him on the road marching. I needed to get him off the road and double timing across the country to get over to McPherson's Ridge and support Buford. So by not doing that, which seems like it would be an obvious move, but I kind of felt like, well, if I can control Gettysburg, and that still fits within the generic orders that you're issued at the start of the game, I felt like, yeah, this will be fine. I can just make sure I cut him off at Gettysburg, and then I can hold in folks coming from you know all different angles, because ultimately marching on roads is, is really important in the game. So with Gettysburg being the hub of that, it made good sense that controlling Gettysburg seemed important. Well... That ended up causing just havoc, and I ended up with this gap where I ended up posting a concept world, and Dean was like, yeah, 
there should be no chance that you did that, and yet somehow you did. <laughs> He's like, here's what you needed to do. But, I was like, but, oh, yeah, but there is some sense. scripting. There is some scripting, isn't there, initially, to kind of try to prevent the Confederates from maybe knowing too much in retrospect about like how the battle's going to develop. Right. So you the the de- design philosophy that's put in place here is that the army commanders didn't actually get online right away and that the units that engaged particularly on day one and really up through the mid afternoon were acting according to local orders and you didn't have any control over that. So you just have to play out orders that are given to you long before you get to start writing orders, which is genius in two ways. One, you don't have the Confederates, like, skirting around the edge of where the battle should be to go try to, like, take up the high ground along the Emmitsburg Pike, right? right? And the second good thing about that is, as a new player, when you go to approach this game, you don't have to write orders right from the beginning. And I think that's a really important thing because... As you start getting to the point where you want to write orders, there's a lot of pieces of information that you need to track with those orders, like what time did you write it? Who wrote it? To whom is it headed? Are they in command range? How far away are they? Because as you start rolling on the charts to look and see what's happening and how long uh, orders are going to take to get delivered and then whether or not they're followed, it's really important to to have that happen. Um, Writing orders... So real quick, Keith, how do you, how, so how do you keep uh, Harry Heath's brigade from or division from taking over the cavalry? Is there a system set in place to to prevent them from just overwhelming them initially? I don't think there's any way for the cavalry to survive, but I think you can uh, I think you can hold off uh, Heath a lot longer than what I did, and I think a lot of that really came down to. You had to roll boxcars to hit with Pender's artillery, and I managed to roll boxcars like three times. Well, that makes a huge issue because as they start to advance up, the the one of the cool things with combat in this is that um, as you advance up and you go to make uh, con- initial contact, you are able to make a closing roll. And effectively, that gives the defender an opportunity to get that first shot in and then have combat so that attacks are really punishing. And depending on how you approach that, if you don't time that right, you can really get smacked around by those closing rolls. So you have the opportunity as a defender to deal just a significant amount of damage. And that's one of the things I really enjoyed about this game. It's bloody. You enjoy it. There is pain. You lose leaders. So if you, you're you in a unit where there's a, a casualty loss, you have to roll in the leader loss table, and it's not a guarantee that your leader isn't going to die right there. And when your leaders die and you lose their uh, modifiers, you get these little replacement leaders who largely suck. And they're so just generally, really... So generally, when two units are going to fight, what, one unit advances, the defenders fire with the closing shot, basically? Yeah, right, exactly. And then... Uh, did the, the then say you're going to charge unit? Just walk us through right. the process and how that would work. All right, let me grab the let me go and grab the cards because it's easier to walk it through with the with the cards sitting in front oh, of no, me. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I just thought I've got it right here. But basically, um, you are going to move in. Everything happens 
Actually, let me move this off of here. Everything happens. They try to make it as seemingly simultaneous as possible, which is, I think, again, one of the real strengths of the design. Uh, okay. So as you get into it, right, you have this uh, closing, you have this opening volley table, and then you have to make a closing roll. And the closing roll, um, the opening volley we've already talked about, and it's that's a little bit a defend, different. That's a defender shooting. Right, that's a defender shooting, and that has some different values depending on how far away the unit is and also whether or not they're trying to make a charge or not. So those are two separate things. Um, the second thing that you're really looking at here as well is what your primary weapon type is for the stack or unit that's moving. So every unit has a strength number, but it's paired with a weapon type. So you might have a stack of units that has, you know, eight strength points, but in it, and that's the maximum effective strength points that you can bring to combat. So you can stack up to 16 combat points in a single hex, but in a single combat, you can only throw eight strength points out of your hex. Um, so that's split split up between, you know, things like rifled muskets, smoothbore muskets, carbine, sharps rifles, Colts or Spencer rifle, Henry repeater, shotgun, pistol, target rifle. I mean, they, they really, the research that went into this is amazing. And then you're looking at this threshold value chart to determine how many of the strength points have to be of a single type to count as that. So you might really want to have um, that smooth or that, uh, sorry, the Henry repeater, but you're not going to get a chance to use that if you don't uh, go through and uh, have enough strength points in the hex to push that over the threshold. Okay, so you might end up shooting his rifled muskets or whatever. Right, exactly. And then you're looking at combat column shifts. So if you're just one, if you're just one hex away, you're able to, to make that shot happen normally. Um, but as you get farther out, you're taking column shifts, which can be pretty dramatic. Um, and then you're also looking at how far away do you have the max effect of your you know, of your unit. So if it's a buck and ball or a breech loader, they have different maximum ranges to have any effect. So I think those are some things when you get outside of using a, a rifled musket, you get into a position where you really have to think about where you're at to do that. So once you get in there and you can make your, uh, uh, make your determination on what you're going to actually do for combat. So that's kind of range combat with charge. You're going to make the, that closing roll, and again, that's going to be determined based on a number of modifiers and then as well your morale, so that'll give you some chances there to, to see how that works for you. And then finally, you have an, uh, some additional charge uh, modifiers that have to do with comparing the size of the unit that's charging against the size of the unit that's defending. So it's it's crazy it's crazy and you can lose your leader in the opening volley which causes um some problems as well. So once you charge the defender is automatically going to take an SP loss and have to check for um the leader loss except for a couple little uh, variations there and then you have to make a morale check. So if you charge Basically, it's was the charge successful or not, and just how damaging was was it beyond the initial um, part of that. So on the morale table, this is where things get bloody. Is the combat table? You might only suffer like 
one loss. But as you go to make your morale check, you could potentially roll poorly enough that you are now disorganized. You have to retreat four and lose another unit. And when you do that, you have to check on the leader loss table. And in a charge, the uh, potential for losing a leader is much higher. So there's opportunities there where you can really screw up a good organized unit that is able to operate well. I think that's where this game is so strong is that it, I'm kind of having a hard time putting it all together in words for you, but there's just such a, a good sense of this is the risk of making any combat move. You really feel like you want to protect your troops and you really feel like the second you need to make an offensive move, you're writing off a ton of units. You're writing off your cohesion of your army in a very tangible way. So, um, whether that's so, for leader I, loss or strength loss, when you have morale checks and they retreat, you have to put a little counter down that says uh, cowardly legs. And then right. if anybody has to make a morale check that's adjacent to that, they have an even worse chance of doing it. So in r- rules version 1.0, you had this weird like cascading uh, set of retreats that happened because as you retreated past or through... Uh, units, they would uh, retreat along with you and stuff like that. In, in this game, that's been streamlined, and the Cowardly Legs thing does that really well. And then if you have to move through other units behind you, that you can freak them out, and then they have different things that happen, including you know getting washed away and, and running with you. So, <coughs> so generally, as far as the organization, you're talking there's a bunch of regimental counters, and does each are brigade brigade led leaders represented or just division leaders or uh so it would be i think it's i think it's actually the division leaders are represented and then in some cases uh, a little lower than that would be represented so um a lot of times that's just kind of written onto the the division leaders are just kind of written onto the uh counters so like i don't i'm trying to remember if there's an actual pender counter I think there is. I think there actually is a Pender counter, and there's actually a Heath counter, um, but there isn't necessarily like a Heath. There isn't like a Davis counter necessarily. Okay. Um, so yeah, so you do have that, and again, I, I think the the strength of the system really lies in giving you the opportunity to have the rules get out of the way and let you just fight these battles out. Um, because once you start getting into combat. The ranged combat, like I said, is just it's just a couple of rolls, and you're looking at the charts just to make sure the ranges are okay, and then you're good to go. Getting into things like the threshold chart, charges are a special situation, um, but primarily it, the fire and maneuver component of this, you can just do it. Um, there's nothing particularly crazy. One thing that's a little unique to it is how they handle column movement along a road. If you think about stretching like warm taffy out between your hands and you have those big chunks on one end and the other end, that's kind of how the units move. And they've, they've used that with this thing, uh, road column movement. And then you get these little uh, road counters that go in between your units. And for every three strength points, you're going to put down two of those behind the unit. And when you're, you can move the whole group of units along at the same rate. So if you have a, a guy that can move 10 normally along the road, he can move that, use those 10 movement points, and everybody who's in uh, the 
uh, road column formation gets to move that same amount, but they can't come back online and start operating again as an actual unit until all of those individual uh, road markers catch up to its parent unit. So it's kind of a neat way to handle, like, okay, once we're back together and we've been marching down this road, it's going to take us some time to get organized again back into a line formation. All right. Um. In terms of how the battle plays out from a historical standpoint, I wish I could tell you more about that, but the scenarios that are included in the game I think are are fantastic because they give you an opportunity to play out if you just have a specific interest in the battle or some segment of the battle, you can go ahead and do that. So, for example, if you wanted to just check out... Um, uh, let me go and pull one. That's a good one. Just pick its charge. You can actually pull together the whole of, of Pickett's charge and recreate that. Or you can do just the north end of the charge, um, just the Pickens Pettigrew Trimble Assault part of that charge. Uh, you can, he has a hypothetical scenario in here that I think is really clever where basically, um, I think Michael Shara's book Killer Angels made this really strong case that Longstreet should have gone around and made this giant flanking move around the right side of the Union lines, and uh, this was another great spot where uh, Dean Essig put in this thing that basically said, no, right. uh, that wouldn't have been a plausible solution, and they would have known that at the time because they would have gotten just ripped to shreds as they tried to make the move. But hey, if you want to prove it to yourself, here you go. That's pretty if, cool. you, if you feel like everybody else feels about this game, that it's presenting a good uh, picture of what combat was like in the era, in the war, and on the battlefield, at this particular battlefield, so at all those different levels, which I feel strongly that it does, then you get the opportunity to go in there and give it a try. Um, again, I think there's... Uh, I'm trying to look at how many different scenarios are in here, but there's got to be 25 or 30 scenarios in here. All right, so what are your ratings for uh, fun and for beer? For fun, I'm going to give it a 9. Uh, for beer, I'm going to give it a 6, 7 maybe. Yeah. I, like I said, I don't think it's – nothing in here is, like, super complex. Uh, for anybody who bought and kind of put away None But Heroes, the first game in the series – I am so excited to take the 2.0 rules back to that game and replay that game because they have streamlined so much and built so much into this system where you don't feel like the paucity of rules is creating a, well, we've abstracted this and that. It just feels right. It, it, it's a great example of a, des of a designer evolving their system with the input of incredibly good playtesters. Nice. It's just, this game is this game so for twenty fourteen, this is the best game of twenty fourteen so far, and it's gonna take an awful damn lot to dislodge it. Um I think this is a game that in the future is going to be sold um once it's out of print in the five hundred dollar range. I would invest in buying a copy now, whether you whether you think you're gonna love this game or not, I would say if there's ever a chance down the road that you might be interested in Gettysburg and playing a game about Gettysburg, buy this game now. You hear that, Marshall? <laughs> buy your copies now, Marshall. Yeah, so if you want to go out and buy, like, three copies and fund, you know, in five years when this game is no longer available and fund yourself, you know, 
uh, fun a year of, of buying it, war it games. You pay for a whole vacation in Jamaica right. by itself. <laughs> that's right. That's three so, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Jason, <laughs> where's, uh, do you have any comment on, on the Gettysburg game? I don't. I think this is a little bit beyond my, my ken. Not, not necessarily playing it, but I don't know, you know, much historically about what went on, so I can't really comment on. I think Jason just completed 10 pages of the uh, Great American Novel. <laughs> that wasn't me typing <laughs> it. <laughs> and, and yeah. there, there's been no Jason eating the entire time. Well, hopefully it doesn't That show is up. definitely appreciated. I, I'm muting myself, that's but actually I think my mic is still picking it up. <sighs> so we have a mailbag. Oh, yeah. This is straight out of the mailbag. Uh-huh. I think an interesting topic for you guys might be to talk a bit about playing two or more player games solo. Oh, yep. It gets mentioned quite a bit, and it seems like it. The first question on BGG about now I'm saying this verbatim, so seems like it. The first question on B, B, BBG about a new war game. How does it play solo? I only seem to be able to get so far when I try. I'm like Anchorman, right? I have to read. Is this from our Nigerian <laughs> prince friend? No, it's not. I'm Ron Burgundy? It's on the teleprompter. Never through any game of length. What makes a game a good game to play solo? How do you keep the narrative, spelling errors, going playing both sides? Do you set goals at the start? Set orders or constraints to keep out gamey stuff? How much of solo play is just to learn the rule for future FTF play? Lonely thoughts who spent too much on games want to know. Keep up the work. I always know I'm getting what I pay for. Smiley face. The king of Botswana. Okay. Um, so, so speaking of that, Keith, you play, I got the impression that you played Last Chance for Victory solo. So I that, did. That, I did. I, I can't wait. I'm going to be teaching a local guy here probably in sometime in March. I'm going to be taking so, it to my local favorite game store. I and did have a question getting about it on the table. Getting back to your point, Dave. So there's written orders in this game. How yep. do you do that solo? Do you just forget it? <laughs> this is a this is actually a great game for playing solo because, like I said, whether or not your subordinate units will accept those orders on the turn that they arrive is entirely up to a die roll. So from a solo standpoint, this game is ideal for that. Um, in games where you have more perfect control, it gets a little bit more difficult to do that. And I, I wrote a blog post about this last year, and one of the techniques that I've really liked is creating a player persona. Uh, and that can be as detailed or as, I don't know, nebulous as you want it to be. I tend to pick a like an attitude, whether I'm going to be aggressive or whether I'm going to try to be sneaky, whether I'm going to try to go to do the right combination of units. It'll be something about that. Um, and then, you know, the other player persona will just be a reaction to it. But once you have that, it, it makes a good sense for two-player. Now, in a multiplayer game setup, right, so if you were trying to do Here I Stand or Napoleonic Wars, um, in those kind of cases, right, you, you're going to have to develop a couple of different uh, objectives, I would think. You're way more creative uh, than And that. that's tricky to do because you're going to have to think through what those different places need to achieve, right? And Here I Stand, every single player in that game has a, their own discrete set of goals 
that are in many cases uh, non-overlapping with other players and in uh, an equal number of cases usually overlapping with the goals of other players. So understanding how you're going to go about that and prioritize it for each of those is an important component. I think if you watch uh, Enrico Callendale play through any of these multiplayer games solo, you get to watch him and his method and how he does it live. So that, that I'll kind of leave it at that and let um, uh, Dave and Jason take their take on it. I, I don't do any of that. I just play each side as I would play it. Um, so I look at each turn pretty, pretty freshly. Um, and usually I'm coming at it either a couple minutes or a couple, you know, even a day later. So I can kind of not necessarily forget, but have enough fogginess of what happened before. Um, I drink a lot, so I can, I can usually forget what I'm doing from, from day That's to day. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's more the Enrico method of just, and I guess he does a little bit of it. He has, he'll set up dice colors and they have goals in mind, but I think in general, I just play each side as it comes up. And, and some games are better suited for it. Chip pool games, obviously. Um, I, I think games with a lot of bookkeeping turn me off playing solo because if you're something like space empires Four X, where keeping one sheet, isn't that much, it's not that big of a deal, but if you're doing that four times every turn, that, that gets to be a pain in the butt. Um, so I, I tend to just buy games that I think I would I would play solo. So I, maybe I'm not the best one to talk about. It. I, I do primarily play solo, and I play a lot of multiplayer solo. And I just each each time I sit down, I just take that situation for what it is and and try to do the best with it from each side. Well, that was great, Jason. Don't be sarcastic, Dave. What do you do? It was just nice. No, it was nice to hear the sound of your voice. <laughs> it's your turn to talk. I, I like. <laughs> I <Yes>. like. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. So when it comes to generally for me, uh, there is a little bit of role playing involved, and I think I role play even when I play in a, a player game with real people face to face. So. Uh, like, I'm never going to do a gamey move or a cheesy move, like, oh, I think I'm going to attack over that hill because even I'll, I'll say, like, well, my guy wouldn't possibly know that they were there, so I'm not going to move my people there. So I tend to be more of a role player when it comes to gaming, so I think solitary games for me or playing multiplayer games solo tends to come more naturally. Uh, chip pull, I agree, is a really great system because it creates an irregular turn order where it's tough. Basically, you I find you you end up picking a favorite in a game. I always do. You know? That side usually so, loses for me, which is kind of a sad state right. about my game playing. So when I'm playing Moscowa, I kind of cheer for the French, and so I kind of am on their side, so it's good to have chip pull where I can come up with a strategy, and but it's not necessarily going to go my way because I can't pick the way the chips are going to come out. Block games actually work okay for me, too, because I'm a moron and I forget what the other blocks are. So if I physically move myself to the other side of the table, I will forget what the opponent's blocks are in a lot of cases and surprise myself. Um, one of the games I thought really did this well was Stonewall Jackson's Way. 
because you can't predict when the initiative is kind of going to switch. You're rolling a D6 off against the other guy. You might make a big move thinking it's going to go really well, and at the last minute you fail initiative, and then it switches over to the other guy, the uh, Confederates or the Union. So then uh, you can switch places and kind of sit down and say, okay, well, what would I do here? And, and, and walking away and taking a break is good, I think. In between switches to go do something else and then come back, you can kind of come back to the table and look at it with a fresh set of eyes. But so, so speaking about role playing, I actually got to see Enrico's process live. We played um, a distant plane together and we played it two player. And we kind of said, you know, we'll play each faction for itself because there's two player rules where if both of your factions win during the propaganda phase. Um, or propaganda card, um, then, then you win. But we just took it as playing each side for itself. And I actually got to see him struggle against, you know, playing, uh, he was playing the, what is it, the warlord? No, he was playing the coalition and the government. And I saw him <laughs> actually talking through, well, what do I want to do as a government? And, Seeing that whole thing right. take, like, and you, you do have to kind of separate yourself like that. And this is why my wife hears me making my little <laughs> cannon noise. Like, I'm actually talking to the guys. Exactly. Like, what do I want to okay, do these here? These guys need to go. What's he going to do next? And yeah, yeah. I guess there is that role play element to it. Well, I hope that answers everyone's questions. Uh, yeah, the best thing, you know. Again, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it probably every single podcast that I do. You just have to get out there and do it. Sure. You're, you're going to develop your own way to make that work and to compartmentalize how you do things. And you're going to find that you can easily forget stuff. And you're going to find that you can easily put yourself in the shoes of a commander and do that role-playing component or be the person who is constantly looking for the optimal, optimal move at that given time. It, it just you, you learn that by doing it. Have you guys watched any of Hello Gregor's videos on Board Game Geek? I did show my wife the one where he did the opening in bed. <laughs> the uh, Cuba Libre. Um, so he he has a series of video videos that he does with, I guess it was a game from like the 80s called Real People. And I don't know what the game was, but it comes with all these cards that are pictures of people on the front and then like stats about them on their back, like their nickname and their profession and stuff like that. So he uses those and he puts them in like a... The, the cardboard character standy thing that you slide the card into and they sit around the board and he kind of role plays as those people. Um, and he's recommended that to, to a lot of people and he's, he's creative in, in that way. And Keith, it's kind of like what you're saying where each side has a personality. Um, that right. this is kind of, um, you know, it's not a, a personality of his choosing and he has a reference point yeah. to come back to. And it's fun watching him play as those different people. That's yeah, uh, those are just a couple of different strategies. I think there's probably even more out there if you go and dig for but it right. you know, long enough. It. But just sit down, set it up, just and do it, play it. Yep, absolutely. All right, so Constant World Expo is coming up. I'm uh, I'm planning on running a Moscowa game. I'm praying to God that Rick will agree to play it with me because I really want to have somebody locked down that I know is relatively normal uh, in the game. And not to say that there aren't a lot of normal guys. Ninety percent of the guys there are great people. 10% are like, they if they were in the Amazon jungle, they would be bright red little frogs. It's just nature's way of warning Dude, you. That this, 
<laughs> this frog is venomous. I trusted you. We went to lunch together, and then you get on a podcast. No, no. And... You were great, but you won't play it with me, I'd Jason. Right. So what am I supposed to do? I just want to play so, Fire in the Lake. So I'm just saying, please, I'm praying. I have a geek mail after Rick. I'm playing, praying he answers it, and he will in the game with me. Because I know the guys can join it, but you need to have one guy who's going to be there yeah. at least to run the other side. And I'm not willing to just... I think you should definitely do something new. Just have a room that's all people playing multiplayer games solo. <laughs> that would be good. We could have a little pop, like, stand-up character. Susie the Homemaker. What would she do with that? Calencon. <laughs> Dave told us that everybody was so weird, so we just set up this solo room. I like that. <laughs> no talking. Although there is They're a out there. You, which you, is almost the same thing. You can easily end up cornered in a hallway by a guy who wants to tell you for two hours how he was a former U.S. Army infantry captain who also flew C-130s. Those are, those are the Don't same thing. That. Yep. So that seems very likely. But I, I was He's that person. A listener, Dave. Take, take it easy. I hope not. I know <laughs> who he is. I, you just I, I memorized his name, so I will never play the game with him again. That's funny. It's it's not really coming up though. It's still months away, right? Am I mistaken? It's in May. Well, I am around the corner. I hope he gets back in time. Yeah, I'm freaking out because I'm like, is it something that's March? Is it? Said that in May. GMP West is uh is in April. Yeah, I made my daughter move her birthday so I could go. Wow, my five year old's birthday is now going to be on the 29th of April. Don't take her with you. No, she's not going. I told my wife, I said, she doesn't even know how to read the fucking calendar. I mean, she doesn't know when her birthday is. We just tell her when it is. Father of the year. So we'll celebrate it when I get Love back. It. <laughs> priorities, it gentlemen. Priorities. Clearly. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's, I think this was an interesting episode. We finally had three games that we all enjoyed. Oh, yeah. Well, this I the first time. I always have very positive reviews uh, to all you game companies out there. I don't think I've ever put out a review that was oh, not consistent. Nice people so. love having people love having people lie and become not credible, <laughs> not credible as reviewers. Did you no, did you guys see I'm, that on the guild? Yeah. yeah. What's that about the the review of uh, yeah. Sales of and, Glory? Andrew. Oh McKay yeah, I was just putting together a response. Generation loved Sales of Glory. Fine. I I knew people would really love it, but if somebody's going to sit there and call it historical, they're calling it historical from a lens of understanding of that era that isn't anywhere true. It's like drunk goggles understanding that, of that era. Bath, bathtub sailboats fighting each yeah, other. Exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I put a thread on the on the guild asking if anyone wanted a shout out, and I got no responses. So uh, our our guild is, is failing us. I mean, we we sit here and record for three hours at a time. You'd think someone would log into BGG at that time. Oh, hey, um, Matt, so, uh I know you guys never get tired of me talking about Concert World Expo, but uh, Reeves is probably oh, that's, coming, that's by exciting. the way. Ralph's not coming, is he? So, we'll see. We'll see Reeves. Does your wife know that he's coming? No. Hide that from her. I, I've occasionally posted, like, showed her things that we posted, and she just thinks we're a bunch of complete morons, so... <laughs> <laughs> My wife is like, you should get, you should get our son one of those, uh, one of those rainbow colored cat shirts. I was like, no. <laughs> no, I, I think you should because that would be yeah. one more order. We need to hit 50 people. Come on. 
Don't give it to him now. Give it to him at his 13th birthday. Son, you've now become a man. Here's your t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that to him. I'm going to ruin his life. <laughs> Lucas said he was going to buy one for his girlfriend. and I, uh-huh. seen- I should get one for my daughter. She might wear it to volleyball practice. Kittens <laughs> on it. So that's not bad. Yeah. It's well, the realistic it's- tank farts that get me. <laughs> he did a good job. So I, th- I think now that my... Now that my Polis game is canceled, I think uh, there's a, some whiskey and some trolling around on the guild in the nice future. Nice. Oh, hey, by the way, thanks for asking guys about my life, but uh, my gopher war is, is going it? terribly. I was going to ask about oh. your nuts. I, I, well, my nuts are, are bad, too. So I'll do nuts first. <laughs> my my nuts surgery is Wednesday. I call, I call up. That's what I tell them. Uh, I call up the doctor's office, and I said, you know, you told me that there was going to be a little bit of swelling and it basically looks like someone hit me in the nuts with a baseball bat. And the nurse goes, Oh no, that's totally normal. I said, what, what do you mean? She goes, yeah, no, that's fine. You're fine. As long as you don't have a fever. And I said, because when we talked about this operation beforehand, no one mentioned, you said there were going to be too tiny. She's like, no, no, that's totally normal. Like, well, so I had scored all these brownie points with my wife because I had done the procedure. Um, and then basically I turned around and said, yeah, if I'd known it was going to, this was all going to be involved. I never would have fucking done this in the first place. So then I lost all brownie points and she got mad at me and pissed off that that, that happened. That's how I'm right. looking so, at my next month. So I'm, my surgery is so, Wednesday and there's no, oh. if to reverse it. So there's no business happening for six weeks, which means I get, I get to be a royal prick for six weeks because nothing's going to happen anyway. So I might as well take advantage of it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they just reattach stuff. Yeah. So I get I get three days off work, so I'm just gonna spend that hopefully hopefully playing some games and hopefully getting a lot of reading done. God, I took more time than I'll be all drugged up. It was rough. Knocked out. Terrible. And I I, I'm not into the hydrocodone. I I I stick with the booze. I don't like how the the opiates and stuff, I don't like how that works with me. Okay, so anyway, my gopher wars. Um I tried to kill the gopher, I set a bunch of traps. This gopher was smart. He triggered all my traps, didn't get caught. I eventually, I even stuck a sonic. They have these sonic rods you can stick in that are a complete waste of time. That wasn't worthwhile. And then I I finally called. I have a pest control guy, and I called him up, and I'm like, hey, you need to come out here and do it. And let me tell you, my pest control guy, if if pest control and ability is measured by the pound, <laughs> this gopher does not stand a chance. <laughs> My guy must weigh like 300 pounds. So he says that he has done all this stuff in the backyard, so it remains to be seen uh, how well it goes with the gopher. But apparently they won't put poison down anymore because uh, somebody they tell you not to let your dog out in the backyard, but a dog ran out there and ate the poison and uh, died. So they wouldn't put poison out there anymore. Did you try so, the punji sticks? I No, I didn't. I think it's worth a I shot. Didn't. I I didn't put any feces on them or anything, so the injuries exactly. would be more grim. So he says he laid traps out, and I said, well, I really uh, I really would rather that you guys did the poison. He goes, well, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I said, well, I don't understand what you mean. He goes, let me just put it this way. He goes, don't let your dog <laughs> out in the backyard. <laughs> so, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> so, so if it dies underground, do you have to go in and dig it up or... 
Oh no, it's just, dude, I used to, when I killed him with the traps, some guys would like pry the traps open and take the gopher body off and reuse the trap. I was like, that's like vermin. I'm not touching that thing. So I would jam the, the corpse with the trap back into their entrance hole, like as a warning <laughs> to like the gophers. But they still, they don't care. They're, they're really heartless, those gophers. We don't have any of those problems mm-hmm. out here in the desert. You don't have gophers? No. Oh, you have rattlesnakes? No. no. We don't even have scorpions where we are, which is the big thing. Yeah, we get black widows and rattlesnakes. Those are the two things we get a lot of. But no mosquitoes. Yeah, that's, that's good. good. How about you, Keith? You get a lot of rattlesnakes? I think we caught him. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, man. You got no, anything I think else? That's it. All right, brother. Bye. Visit us at http colon slash slash bardgamegeek.com slash build slash one six six zero or contact us at advance after combat at gmail.com. What the fuck?